Um, well, first, for a start, the script was shit, and I <laughs> did the decision to make the film was a mistake. You know, I mean, I signed up to it because they pitched this idea of like we want to do the horror version of Hellboy. We want to kind of bring you and like make it really dark and do the horror version. And uh, and then I quickly found out that like a the script was terrible. B it was never going to get better before we shot it, despite many many attempts. You can't polish a turd, no matter how much you try. <laughs> yeah, and and I would have all creative control kind of taken away from me, and uh, to to the extreme levels. Like there was just there's nothing of me in that movie, and and the worst part about it is that what they did in post was like they filled it full of this really bad CG gore, and I think a lot of people assume it's like well that's my hand all over the film, but actually it's not at all. Um, I didn't really have anything to do with that, and I would have done as much practical as I possibly could. But we kind of we didn't get to do that. So um, yeah, it was just it was just god awful. So it's 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 not a film that I would like I I consider to be part of my canon. It's the only film that I that I've made that I that I, I didn't write, um, and <laughs> I won't make that mistake again. <laughs> Welcome back to a brand new episode of Not A Bomb Podcast. This is the podcast where we go back and revisit the movies that bomb theatrically or the critics were pretty harsh to. Brad, we just finished a couple of weeks of doing Bollywood films and we're sort of back to normal. Sorry, I'm going to get that wrong again. Not Bollywood. Indian Don't you dare. Films. Don't you one dare. Of, one of them were Bollywood. Another one was Tollywood. Uh, but yes, we got we got schooled on that from our good friend Josh, and we had some amazing feedback from those episodes. We'll get to that here a little bit later. But we're we're back to sort of just talking about um, I don't know bombs that that we had on our on our original list. So this week you you pulled from that list, is that right? I did, and I pulled Hellboy from two thousand and nineteen. Yeah, and what's very unique about this one is as soon as we announced it, our, our good friend uh, Sammy from the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema immediately re- reached out and said, "Hey, I, I want to be on this show," which kind of boggles my mind. I mean, I'm I'm always have I'm just super excited to have you on the show, Sammy. But it, oh, thanks. This one threw me off a little bit. Hellboy, huh? Well, I'm I'm here to bring the Sammy Wood to your show this week. Oh, okay, the Black Eagle, uh, if you will. The Black yeah. Eagle, yeah. <laughs> Um, however you want, however you want to take that, but yeah, it's I, I have Bali, a, it's not Tali, but it's definitely Sammy. Okay. I, I have a question. I think Brad and I have talked about this in the past. Uh, we are avid comic book collectors. I know you are too. Hellboy is based off of a comic property. Um, and I, I can't remember which show we talked about this, Brad, but I think we shared how we got into comic books, right? Like what was the series that brought us to it? Or have we talked about that yet? Have we? I don't know. Well, let me, let me ask you, yeah, let me ask you, Brad. So when, what, what was the series or series or, or character that got you into comic books then? Well, for me, it was the early nineties. I was probably in second or third grade and they had the Marvel trading cards. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, and I, I started getting those and then you would read the back of them. And they would say, this character's first appearance was in XYZ. 
And then I would do my best to find that. And, and so that kind of started from just collecting those cards. Um, and then obviously the X-Men animated show that came on um, in the nineties was a big catalyst for my love for the X-Men. Then it turned into me loving Magneto and then Wolverine and all that stuff. So I've always been more on the Marvel side, um, more on like X-Men. I've always found the X-Men pretty fascinating. Um, did you collect any of the comic books or did you just get uh, yeah, into it? Yes. through the- Yeah. The main line, a lot of the main line um, X-Men stuff. I'm, I have a lot of some really cool issues and all that stuff, but I, you know, Magneto has always been my favorite followed by Wolverine and, and, and those two clash a lot. So yeah, it was, it started with that show and with those, with those trading cards. Okay. What, what about you, Sammy? How'd you, how'd you get into comic books? I find it really interesting to hear stuff like that because when I was buying those trading cards, I was already full on collecting. Right. So I was thinking, you know, I'm buying these trading cards just because I love comic book characters. I'm not thinking about the young person that's out there buying those as a gateway into comic book collecting. So that's, that is pretty that's interesting. That's pretty cool to hear that story yeah. because, you know, we all find our ways into the things we love in different ways. Um, comic books for me go way back. Uh, I've been reading comics since I could read. Um, I can't remember a time in my life when I wasn't reading comic books, which is probably why if you listen to our show, I'm so kind of harsh on comic book films because I'm, I'm really tough on them, probably because they've been a lifelong passion of mine. I couldn't tell you what originally got me into comics, except that I had a neighbor kid. Uh, he wasn't my best friend, but he was like a friend of my best friend. You know, one of those kind of scenarios. Yeah. And uh, he brought some comics over and uh, they were horror comics at the time. They were well out of print and, way, and quite old and they're probably worth quite a bit of money now. But they kind of blew my mind. And I was kind of like, wow, you know, this stuff is I can't remember the titles. I can't remember if they were eerie or or what they were. They were a little oversized and they were quite beat up. You know, obviously he and whoever else had had these things had read through them so many times. I just worn them out, but, uh, those kind of opened the gateway. And then my, f- one of the first comics I bought with my own money, uh, when I started buying off the newsstands was um, the last issue of master of Kung Fu. It <laughs> was the first comic I bought with my money. Now I had already had comics I'd bought at, Yard sales. Yard sales used to be great for this. You used to be able to go to a yard sale or garage sale and people would be getting rid of their kids' comics, right? Yeah. You could get tons of comics. You could get like a hundred comics for a quarter. And because these things were not going to be worth money unless they were, uh, you know, Amazing Fantasy number 15 or Action Comics number one. So nobody thought, you know, Wolverine number one was going to be worth money or any of these these kinds of things. Man, you could get all kinds of stuff. And, uh, I bought so much stuff. Probably, there's probably still stuff I have that I haven't read. So kind of like my Blu-ray and DVD collecting, it's probably the same thing where I lost control of it. But yeah, comic books are huge for me. Huge. I don't think people understand. I love movies. And if they know me through the social medias and through podcasting, it's from movies. But if you really knew me, you'd know that reading and reading comic books is probably one of my number one things in the whole world to do. I enjoy it to this day. Yeah, I uh, <laughs> I started super early. So I, I grew up, uh, and I don't know if I've talked about this on the show, but um, me growing up, I was in leg braces. So I, I have Perthic's disease in my right hip. Uh, it, it's I, I still have it, 
but as a kid, I w- was basically in, in these leg braces that, um, to, to just try and describe it, it was, you know, basically these pa- plastic things that went from my kneecaps up to my hips with a bar in between. And, um, you had to kind of walk with crutches cause the, the idea was, uh, you, you had to get the blood flowing through the hips. So if, if you were in the stance pretty much 24 seven, cause you had to sleep in them and stuff like that, that was supposed to get that hip growing back. So I didn't have a lot of friends except for the comic books. And, um, the first two series that I remember getting that got me totally hooked was a DC series. And I, I, for some reason, I feel like we talked about this when John was on the show. Um, but it was weird war tales. Absolutely love that comic book series because it's, it's just, um, it's a horror comic, but it's all based around all of the famous wars that would have occurred throughout history. Right. And then the other one that got me totally hooked, which was my introduction to Marvel, was The Defenders. So I had, I had watched, you know, the, the Captain America Incredible, I mean, Incredible Hulk on television was awesome, but I really wasn't into um, the Incredible Hulk comics or Captain America or uh, Spider-Man growing up, but I was into The Defenders. I love that series with Doctor Strange and Valkyrie. I mean, it, that, that was just so unique, and that eventually got me into just collecting everything and, and kind of like with Sammy as, as crazy and out of control, my Blu-ray collection is I've, I've been collecting comics for 40 plus years. Um, now outside of Marvel and DC, I had always thought that those were the first two companies like that. That's all that who, you know, produce comic books. Right. right. Um, and, and I did not even know kind of the world that was out there. Do you guys kind of remember the comic book series, or maybe the comic book that introduced you or opened your eyes to like, hey, there's there's something else outside of superheroes or there's something outside of Marvel and DC. Do you remember what series got you going? I mean, it would have been Spawn for me because I was Image Comics. And at the time, I, I didn't know that outside of Marvel and DC that there was anything else. And of course, Spawn was like the biggest thing that came out um, at the time. And I was like, wait, this is Image Comics. I've never even heard of this before. So Mr. Todd McFarlane in Spawn. Yeah. Okay. It's a good one. It's a good one. That is good. Uh, I, I, I don't even know where to start. Um, there were so many comic book companies. Image was pretty big for me too, because I grew up with those creators. Uh, Todd McFarlane was huge when I was a kid and all of us school kids would talk about McFarlane, his Spider-Man. And then when he did his own Spider-Man, we were just like nutso over it. We couldn't believe it. And then when those guys broke off and did image, it just kind of like broke the the system for a while. But it did it did some good because it, it opened up a lot more independent stories. So companies like Dark Horse and Valiant and companies like that were able to get out there. And there's some really good stuff out there. If you guys are really adventurous, you can find some really good stuff with like Valiant and uh, like I said, Dark Horse Comics, which is the brand we'll be talking about today because Hellboy comes from Dark Horse, yep. I believe. Yep. It is Dark Horse. And, uh, you know, these companies, uh, I can't remember all of them, um, but and I'm drawing a blank now, which is crazy because I, I love comics so much. But, of course, that's the way it is, right? You, you don't, you, you asked me, put me on the spot, and I can't remember. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't as much of a Spawn fan, but I love Gen 13. Uh, that was what Jim Lee and um, Choi, is it Brandon Choi? Uh, uh, I can't remember exactly, but I remember who was that artist that eventually took over? Was it, was is it last name Campbell? Can't was it uh, uh, J Scott? J Scott Campbell? 
A. Scott Campbell. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because didn't he do Danger Girl as well? I think so. Okay. He drew he drew women kind of interestingly. That's all I'll say. Yeah. <laughs> I no, see a little I, girl I, peeking I, over my shoulder. The uh I, so we're going to talk about this next week when we talk about next week's film, but it, but it was Whitman comics that, um, oh, I, there's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. So they, I think they did Tarzan comics, stuff like that, but they had done some movie adaptions and they did a movie adaption of the film that we're going to talk about next week, which is one of my early comic book, uh, purchases as a kid, because I love this film in 1979. Uh, and then the other comic book that I just picked up because it looked super interesting to me, there was like one issue sitting by itself in a comic book store was this, uh, little known title was black and white called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles issue one. So uh, it's IDW publishing. Is that? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I think I had like the run of that from issue one through 50 or something. I, I really, I really love those. Um, but yeah, I just, I knew all three of us were kind of big into the comic book culture. I go to the Baltimore Comic-Con every year that it's out here. We, we you know, my family, John's family, we all go together. It's a big deal. Um, and I am amazed. I, I'm only two issues away from having every comic book of the Defender series. So um, I, I've got every G.I. Joe issue. I've got <laughs> like... Indiana Jones, Howard the Duck. I've, I've got all those complete runs. Um, well, I mean, you bring up an interesting point. So one of the great things about comic books was when I was growing up, I wanted more Star Wars. Yeah. And I couldn't get more Star Wars. This was before the era of, you know, saturation, really. So Marvel Comics started printing Star Wars comics. Yeah. And they weren't amazing, but it was more Star Wars, right? Yeah. Some interesting and, some interesting stories in, in between, too. And Dark Horse did that as well with Predator and Aliens. Mm-hmm. They bought those uh, brands and, and and they got the rights to those. And they even did the thing. They even did more stuff with the thing. Yes. So what comics can provide is they can kind of provide this larger scale to these universes or these stories that we like so much. And uh, I, I love that about them personally. I think that's one of the coolest things about them. I'm, I'm actually kind of sad that they don't do it more with more properties. Um, I agree. You know, the other thing I kind of miss is, and, and we've talked about this several times, because I think I sent you early on when we were doing the show, Brad, the novelization to The Last Action Hero. Yes, you did. But I love novelizations of films because what will typically happen is uh, they'll hand over, you know, the screenplay to the novelist and say, okay, now turn this into a novel. And what ends up on the cutting room floor will typically be in the novelization. So growing up, that that was how you would sort of find out scenes that didn't make it, but they were part of the original script. And right. comic books used to do that too. So you'd have like the comic book adaption of films, and you would sometimes see stuff in there that that just wasn't in there. We we talked about this with the Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. Marvel did that um, that comic uh, magazine of the the film, also released it in a two or three issue limited series. But there were a couple of scenes that ended up on the special edition blu-ray that were actually described or, or kind of shown in the comic book so I, I love this fascination of just um not just movies being inspired by comics but the interplay they have and a lot of times comic books being influenced by the film so like you said sammy the continuation of all these characters and and these other story threads and, and stuff like that i mean you, you brought up aliens um <laughs> they they pretty much continued that series and it's it's pretty much fantastic and and even predator the concrete jungle. I mean, predator two borrowed from mm -hmm. 
the comic book series. So they yeah. they yeah. kind of coexist in this in this crazy universe together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, I, I've often said, and I've heard comic book creators say this over the years. You know, it's you don't. There's no budget with comics. It's just time. Mm-hmm. So you know, you can draw it as big as you want to draw it. It just depends on how much time you want to spend on it. So you can go all out. And there's a lot of good ideas in comics. Yeah. At one point in time, I wanted to be a comic book artist and then I wanted to be an animator. And that was like all I wanted to do when I was a teenager. And turns out, turns out it's uh, really, really, really hard. Yeah. Really hard. (laughs) A lot of people try. I mean, that, that club that gets in there. Maybe try to go to the NBA. It might be easier just to get in the NBA. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, tonight we're talking about a film that it's really the, uh, in terms of theatrical releases, this would be the third version of the Hellboy character, right? Mm-hmm. But there were other animated films that got released, uh, I think two um, in the interim that actually had Ron Perlman doing the voices for him. Because I, I I know this because I own him, but I can't remember which studio put him out. But it was around the time that Hellboy 2 was coming out that they did a couple of uh, animated versions. So Yeah, I can't remember that either, but I remember enjoying those two animated films. Yeah, they're 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 super good. I mean, they they have that art style of the comic, but we're going to discuss tonight the one film that didn't do so hot in the theaters, either financially or with the critics, and actually has some pretty interesting behind the scenes stories attached to it as well. So I'm going to kick it over to you, Brad. You always kind of walk us down the financials and when this thing came out, what it was going against. So, so take us in the way back machine and, and tell us how Hellboy did in 2019 when it, when it kind of released itself ago. on, on yes. the world. So let us, let's go all the way back to three years ago, April 12th, 2019 Hellboy 2019 is released um, <laughs> with a reported budget of $50 million. It's total box office run is $55 million dollars that breaks down 21.9 domestically and 33.1 internationally um opening weekend it only grosses 12 million dollars at the box office um i'm interested to see what this went up against because i I remember it i remember it being a dud when it came out and i remember thinking well 50 million dollars it'll make its money back but it won't make much back yep yep so it um is released. I mean, I guess we're, are we calling April summer blockbuster, right? Cause it usually starts in April now. So yeah, I think, yeah. 2019, I think you do call April. Yeah. So the, the, the movie that won the weekend that weekend was Shazam exclamation point yeah. uh, with $24 million and a movie called little. Wow. Now, little. Um, I don't remember that. The the brief synopsis is a woman is transferred into her younger self at a point in her life when the pressure of adulthood becomes too much to bear. Oh, you mean big? Essentially, yes. It it looks like the African-American version of big. Um, And then Hellboy is uh, number three that weekend with $12 million. Like I said, uh, rounding out the top five, just so you know, is Pet Cemetery and Dumbo. Wow. Oh, wow. The live action Dumbo. Right? Live action Dumbo. Um, <laughs> so Troy hinted at it as well. Not only did this movie bomb financially, but critically, it sits as an 18% on Rotten Tomatoes with the critics 
and um, 48% with the audience. Um, so neither uh, like it too much. Critics, 222 critics, so 18%. Um, not great. Um, but Troy, I have a treat for you today. The only review we care about around here. Oh, thank goodness. Is our, is our lovely Christian website, Movie Guide, which if you're not and familiar. I, I got to say, I'm so disappointed. They didn't have reviews for, for the two Indian films that we did. So, Buddy, <laughs> you don't want to hear what Christians think about Indian cinema. Trust me. Okay, yeah, fine. Yeah. Um, but go ahead. Yes, I'm kind of excited so, about this. So if you're not familiar, Movie Guide reviews films for the contents and based on how Christian they are. Uh, because we all know Christians are the moral compass of the world. Agree. Um, Agree. Yes. It is on a scale of four to negative four, four being the most godly, uh, negative four being the most satanic. In a boy, yes. in a movie called Hellboy, you would feel that it would probably be minus four. It is not minus four. How is it not minus three. four? I know. I know. How is it not minus four? Four. Okay. All right. I because there's no this rating system. Penetration, I guess. I don't, I don't know. know. Right. I, this is crazy. <clears throat> so here we go. Ready? Yes. For uh, overall content, very strong, rather mixed pagan worldview with a lot of occult content that it, that includes the good guys consulting mediums and talking to dead people with some, some overt Christianity, biblical content, and the occult content overshadows the movie's Christian elements and the titular hero is not that admirable. It has a confused moral understanding, but the evil witch is defeated in the end. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Though the hero at one major point is considered the best hope for mankind instead of Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) But I feel feel like he's he's working with Jesus. I mean, they're kind of buddying up a little bit to take down the evil queen. Yeah, we're not done yet. Oh, boy. Uh, foul language. So yeah. we had at least 49 obscenities, many F-words, five strong profanities, two light profanities, and, and creature spews fluids. <laughs> I don't know how that's foul language, but it is kind of foul. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, on the violence, we have extreme and often gross and gruesome violence includes monsters, body parts, and heads mm-hmm. are chopped off. Human witch's head is chopped off twice. Much blood and gore is spilled. Creature is impaled. Um, let's see. This Humans ripped, stabbed. Wow. Hero with spears. Uh, creature flings hero around. I don't know why this is so specific. <laughs> hero knocked around by large battle weapons. Yeah. Eyes gouged out. Monks murdered. Large doors smashed monks to a bloody pulp. Two oh, creatures yeah. battle it out in wrestling ring, which <laughs> sp- splits a man's throat with their own fingernail. Here oh. we go. The sex part. Hero accepts a sloppy, sloppy kiss from an elderly hag creature. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yep. Uh, alcohol use. Alcohol use and drunkenness. Yeah. Uh, smoking and or drug use and abuse. Smoking cigars. Yeah. That's naughty. Yeah, naughty. So negative three for Hellboy 2019. Wow. <clears throat> and last. Shocking. Some of the films you could have seen in uh, April of 2019 is uh, Avengers Endgame. <laughs> I don't know if you're, kind of you a, might have heard about that. Kind of a big deal, yeah. Yeah. 
uh, Under the Silver Lake, which is a film people need to see. Um, let's see. What else do we have here? The Missing Link, which is kind of a bomb. Um, Master Z, the It Man. Which we've talked about and we is talked about. absolutely amazing. You need to go watch that. Yeah. The Man Who Killed Don Quixote finally came out. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, Shazam, Pet Cemetery, which we've talked about. And that is about it. Wow. Uh, some good films that month. I did. Did you guys see Hellboy in the theater or did you wait for this to come out? Oh, hell no. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I was I, a part. I, I was a part of the Golden Army. I will. I will say, I am Brad Anderson, Golden Army member. Yeah. Hellboy Two is one of my favorite comic book movies. Okay. I saw the preview for this and was not into it. Yeah. The um, I would have saw Shazam that weekend because Landon was coming of age to watch those kinds of films. So I would have saw. I would have saw Shazam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't see this in the theater either. I I don't think anything in the trailer really spoke to me. However, I am a huge fan of Neil Marshall, the director. So I think that's a pretty good segue to kind of start with the people behind the camera. You're a huge fan of Neil Marshall. Huge. I love Neil Marshall. Um, I, I do as well for the record. Yes. Okay. I think, I think he's quite fantastic. Um, and I'll, I'll also say, I think he's quite fantastic for about three or four films. Um, meaning those, <laughs> those three or four films are so good that I, I think a lot of directors wish they had one of these in their filmography. But mm. I, I mean, I'm just, I'm showing like my love for, for Neil. Sammy, you said you're a big fan too. It, do you have one that just sticks out in your head and says, wow, this is, this is the pinnacle of his career or his best one so far? Well, I always think the descent is my favorite one of his, but yes, I agree. I, I like a lot. I like pretty much everything he does. I like his style and his, uh, his episodes of game of Thrones are my favorite episodes of game of Thrones as well. Yes, you're correct. Blackwater and the watchers on the wall. Yeah. So, so, and Sammy, you can disagree with me if you want to, but sometimes, and I would say most of the time, the penultimate episodes of each season are the best episodes of those seasons. Um, Neil Marshall got to direct the ninth episode in episode in season two. And then the watchers on the wall is episode nine of season four. Yep. So yeah, he got to do two of those um, yep. of the eight seasons. So, yep. you know, he got to do yep. 25% of them. Yeah. That's uh, you know, I, and I think they picked the right guy to do those. And when I saw his name, I was like, Oh, okay, this is going to be cool because yep. I just, his style, um, his films have been hit and miss for me a little bit, but for the most part, anything Neil Marshall does, I'm interested. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I was surprised how many TV series he actually directed. So we talked about game of Thrones. He also did episodes for Hannibal Westworld and lost in space as well. So he had been working in TV uh, a lot actually between doing Hellboy and sort of his last movie, but just, just a little Has bit. Has anyone seen the reckoning? I have seen not. It yet. No. Okay. I mean, a lot of people wouldn't even know Neil Marshall directed that one. That one got like no push whatsoever. Right. And I totally forgot about it until I was putting the, this list together and was like, Oh my gosh, I totally forgot that, um, that had snuck out. So I need to go visit that, but it's a return to horror or something like that. They called it, but mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, it was like the blink of an eye and it was gone. Yep. He is a member of the unofficial splat pack. Did you, did you know that? Did you hear about this term? So I don't know. I don't know who the splat pack is exactly. Okay. So is it a term? If he's not a member of the pussy posse that I don't care. Oh my God, Brad. 
I, all I know is I'm a member of the Brad gave me Domino's club. So, oh yeah. Yeah. That's, you too. That's, that's yeah. a very small club. I, I thought I was the only one in that club because I was special, but apparently he gives Domino's to everybody. Uh, the, the splat pack, it's a term coined by film historian, Alan Jones and total film magazine for the modern wave of directors making brutally violent horror films. The other splat pack members are Alexandre Aja, Darren Lynn. Ba- is it Bousman? Boosman? It's one of the two. Okay. Greg McLean, Eli Roth, James Wan, Lee Wannell, and Rob Zombie. Ugh, two of those people wow. suck ass. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll, listener, I'll let you decide who those two people are. There you go. Um, I think that reaction to the last name may gave yeah. away a little bit, but spoiler alert on that. <laughs> the uh, that's an interesting list. I, I feel like there should be a few more filmmakers in there that Aja got in there, but he's part of that whole French new wave of horror that came out in the nineties. And there was a lot of directors in that, at least four or five. Is, mm-hmm. is Aja, was he martyrs or inside? No. Was he inside? Was he inside? He was, no, he wasn't inside either. He was a uh, hot ten- or high tension or high hot tension. Hot yeah. tension. High yeah. tension. Yeah. And uh, what else did he do? He did something else. That well, was- I'm sure he got picked for this. Cause about, I'm assuming when this came out, what was um what was his American film debut the uh the um the West Craven remake wasn't it The Hills oh, Have Eyes remake The Hills Have Eyes remake Yeah so yeah which yeah. is really I mean I think it's good I, yeah, I, don't I like know it a lot. Think about it. Yeah. yeah it's nasty uh so th- I I think these guys came along at a time when horror had become tame and these guys just kind of amped it up again and uh, I think this happens in horror it goes and it gets a little tame for a little while and then. Or either that or we just get immune to uh, horror effects for a while. And then somebody comes along and kind of blows our mind again. And uh, some, yeah, regardless of your feelings on some of those names you just mentioned, some of those guys uh, pulled off some pretty interesting things in the genre. I, I think so. I, I, <laughs> I, I like your analogy. I mean, horror is very interesting because it does have its ebb and flows when you look at it historically. It, yeah. So Very generational. It's a very interesting genre because it – it kind of like hits and everybody's really into it. Then it kind of fades for a little while. And then this next young posse comes in and they're like, yeah, I'm going to blow your mind. And you Oh, know. yeah, absolutely. So Neil's first film was Dog, Sh- Dog Soldiers in 2002. I can't talk yeah. tonight. I don't know what the deal is. Uh, real quick, just going to digress. So check out the VHS Files podcast. So it's a it's a show we promote. Good friends of ours. They did an excellent episode on this film. Um, it's not too old either. It's only a couple months old, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah, think, we got an episode. It's only a couple months old. GGTMZ did it too. Yeah, I was going to oh, say right. this. Everybody was doing dog soldiers uh, on this one. Um, I want to say it was towards the end of last year. Yeah, I, it's getting a 4K release, and I am morbidly curious how that will look in 4K. Yeah, I don't know how it was shot. I thought the Blu-ray looked okay. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I don't know if they can make it look any better because I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how it was shot either. It's very, I don't know. It's a rough Blu-ray. It is. I'll say that. Yeah. Um, He followed that up with the descent in 2005, which I I think is one of the best horror films. um, Probably. I don't know. In the last 20 years, it's, it's up there, man. Oh, easily. easily. It's so good. Especially if you're claustrophobic, if you're claustrophobic, like I am, that movie is terrifying. It is. So what did which ending did you prefer? So those who haven't seen the descent, um, it's earmuffs. the bummer ending. Earmuffs. It's the bummer ending. It's the bummer ending. <laughs> yes, of course. Okay. Uh, he follows that up with Doomsday in 2008, which I feel like is his love letter to Escape from New York and 
Conan, Mad Max. I mean, you name it. I mean, Doomsday is interesting because it has every film genre just yeah. jam packed into like two hours. I, I think it's a lot of fun. I don't think it did very well theatrically. We, we could be revisiting Neil just on that one alone. And then he followed that up with Centurion in 2010, which is a lot of fun. And, yeah, and, it's and, good. yeah, just between Dog Soldiers, Descent, Doomsday, and Centurion, I, just those alone, he instantly became one of my favorite directors because I think those are, are really just great, competent, exciting, well-done films. Yeah. Uh, Tales of Halloween. So it was an anthology film that came out in 2015. He did a segment for that. And then he did a lot of TV in between before coming back and doing the theatrical 2019 Hellboy and then followed that one up with The Reckoning. So he's got a couple of things, uh, I think, in production, too. Now, this is interesting. Hellboy is a departure for Neil because he didn't write the screenplay for it. So that's unusual. The screenplay was done by Andrew Cosby. Andrew Cosby had worked on the Eureka. Oh, the old. No, that wrong Cosby. Wrong Cosby. Um, He did the Eureka TV series. It's like a Cosby impersonation. (laughs) Brad is always looking for something. It's terrible. It's terrible. He's got a note here, and he's like, where can I insert an an impression? It's crazy. Um, With the boober and the house. I didn't even know he. I didn't even know he had a Cosby. No, I know. I don't. I don't he doesn't. I don't know if you just heard that, but he doesn't. Um, Eureka. God, I'm it, back on track. Eureka TV <laughs> series, Cosby. 83 episodes. Never seen it. You guys familiar with this? Uh, Eureka, the TV show. Yeah, I know of it. I have never seen it. Okay. He also did Haunted TV series in 2002, four episodes. Not a lot of film credits here, just all TV. Uh, and of course, uh, the characters are based on the Dark Horse comic by uh, the comic book Hellboy created by Mike Mignola. Yeah. Or, um, or Mignola. As, Mignola. Uh, okay. I think he has uh, Hispanic, some Hispanic, uh, I don't know, heritage or something other. Yeah. The only other thing I wanted to bring up, because I think this will come up in the discussion, there are 896 visual effects credits in this film. I, th- yeah. I thought we would just run through each one of them if you guys are okay. No, I'm just kidding. All 896? Um, I, yeah. I don't see why not. I, I, got, I got some time. <laughs> one name <laughs> jumps out, though. A special character and makeup designer, Joel Harlow. Okay, so uh-huh. he's credited uh-huh. in terms of overseeing sort of the visual effects for the creatures and everything. He is an Oscar nominee for Best Achievement in Makeup and Hairstyling for Star Trek Beyond and The Lone Ranger. He is an Oscar winner for best achievement in makeup for star Trek in 2009, but he's worked on some big projects, Godzilla, King of the monsters, black Panther, green lantern, favorite of yours, Sammy. Yeah. Uh, pirates of the Caribbean. Well, uh, let's clarify that the movie's not an absolute favorite. I love the character. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was going to, I was going to have to hit the pause button there. Okay. I'm glad sorry, you clarified sorry. That. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I like the green lantern film, but it's just because I love green lantern so much. It's, there you go. No, hey, there's no shame. No shame. Uh, I, feel, pi- I feel a little shamed. I feel a little shamed right now. I, none, none at all. I I kind did you, of enjoy Did you hear the, my Cosby impression? You yeah, I was going to say, you're fine, dude. You're not out there doing that Brad's shtick. <laughs> uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl, which I think Joel developed a relationship with Johnny Depp and worked on you know, a lot of makeup effects for Johnny Depp, like in all of his films. So if you look at his uh, filmography, Joel and Johnny have worked on everything together. This 
this next credit cracks me up because I don't know how this movie is popping up all over the place. But Joel Harlow did special makeup effects for a 2003 film called Biker Boys. (laughs) (laughs) Biker Boys. I didn't look that deep, but that's amazing. Biker Boys, yeah. And uh, yeah, what are the odds? Uh, Not only is it on the list, but it's on the list. We are doing Biker Boys in a few months. So, yeah. Yeah. Biker Boys. Boys. All right. And uh, he also worked on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, did seven episodes on there. My God, I am looking through. So I did not know there was this many effects credits. 896, dude. In this film. I am looking through these right now, and I am completely blown away by how many scrolls I have to do just to get past the effects tab. It's nuts. Uh, It it just jumped right out at me. I mean, I, I know... Marvel visual. films and everything else and, and, and all your science fiction, your Star Wars, they, they have so many visual effects, but for a $50 million budget, that was the budget, right, Brad? Yes. Yeah, One could I, argue that there's too many. Could be. They I just have enough time for, for that size of budget. I was shocked to see 896 credits. So I'm thinking in terms of management here. Okay. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, I only got $50 million and I got all these effect shots. It kind of makes sense that they would divvy this up like this. Also, it kind of makes sense. I think what we're going to talk about with some of the effects with this film. Yeah. How some of them, some of their quality is there. Yeah. 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 Yep. A hundred percent. This makes way more sense now. Yeah. Yes. Well, I, I just, it, it shocked me. Like I, I said, when, when you're, I don't sit back and, and I know um, Jose can list every person who worked on this film and then can probably tell you like their entire filmography and then this, you know, six degrees or seven degrees of Kevin Bacon with each one of them. Yeah. But when I, when I look at some of these credits, a lot of times I'm looking at them in the context of the budget. And that's the thing that just jumped out at me was how many visual effects credits were, you know, kind of given um, in terms of that budget alone, especially given who was in front of the camera. Like, I don't think some of these people in front of the camera came cheap. I, I don't, I don't think, you know, they did it for free, but 896 visual effects credits. Yeah. You tell me that I'm thinking your budget is a hundred million dollars. Yeah, exactly. So I'll, 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 well, I'll talk about it when we talk about the film. Okay. I'll, I'll say when we talk about the film. Well, let's, let's talk about the people in front of the camera. We'll start with Hellboy himself, David Harbour. I did not know he got his start on as the world turns in uh, 1999, 2001. He played officer Shanks, nice. which makes sense since I think most people would know him now, probably from what Black Widow, uh, since he's in the Marvel universe, and then Stranger uh, Things, right? Stranger Things, yeah, Stranger Things. My son is uh, Stranger Things has been a, a bit of a generational show for folks, mm-hmm. uh, especially my kids' age. I have never understood the pool personally, but he swears up and down it's the greatest. Thing I love it. I, 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 I'm right there with Landon. I yeah. love it. I, I, with just, your son, I, I can't judge it because I've only ever watched one episode of it, and I did not mind that one episode, but I just never got around to it. He really wants me to watch like all three seasons before season four comes out. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> it's a, you, you need to check. I, I like, I don't, I don't go bonkers for it as uh, the first season's fantastic. Second season is really good. Third season's okay. It's good. Yeah. Uh, I am excited Millie, about the Millie season. Bobby Brown in it though. And she makes me nervous because again, I've talked about her in the past. She just yeah. kind of walks around and looks at things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Seems yeah. to be her acting style. Yeah. There's a lot uh, of that. But I'm sure I'll check it out at some point. But anyway, yeah, David Harbour. I think you know, 
it's fun when character actors kind of have a, a bit of a push for lead actor status. I think his face and everything fits in good with the Hellboy look. Um, I think if, I think if you're replacing Ron Perman with somebody, David Harbour is a good choice. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and I, you know, for the record, and, and Brad, you know, we, me and Brad, for, for those of you who don't know, Brad and I watched this film together we in a did, room. We had together. a date. <sighs> yeah, I'm so jealous. Watched this film together. We had finished off RoboCop 4K, which we both still agree is a masterpiece, and then we uh, threw this in. So Brad well, did the you, right you thing. Skipped, you skipped. We had lunch. <laughs> yeah, we had lunch. We had Domino's. Yeah, Parmesan bites. You bought him Parmesan bites. Yeah. I didn't even get Parmesan bites. This is got some cinnamon twist or cinnamon twist bites. Too. Oh, hell no. All right. Fine. That's fine. I'm go ahead. Keep going with your dating. And then, yes. And then, and then Sammy and I got to sit, uh, together and watch, uh, yeah. watch Hellboy together. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So he did the right thing. He showed the masterpiece first, the double the Brad's double feature. It was the masterpiece first. And then he showed the B movie. Uh, so we got to watch this together and, and, uh, I, I thought Harbor, I thought the lines they gave him, I don't know how many of them he improvised and how many of them were written, but I quite enjoy David Harbor's Hellboy. That's what I'll say. I, and I will confirm that every time he broke a cell phone, Sammy did laugh. <laughs> yeah, the cell phone thing makes me laugh every single time. <laughs> I, that, I love he, it. As the king of dad jokes, that does not surprise me. <laughs> Yeah, that is true. I I agree. I would say if if we're if we're going to rate the casting assignments here, David Harbour's Hellboy A plus. Mm -hmm. Let's move on to the next person. From here, I think it's problematic, and we'll start with uh, Mila Jovovich, right, as the Blood Queen. (laughs) Huh? A D. I didn't talk about this with Brad because I didn't talk about it too much when we were watching it together because I knew we were going to record this, so it seemed kind of asinine to talk about it then and there, but. She is one of my biggest problems with this movie. So, oh, she's. I don't my, know if she's good. I don't know if she's very good. I think I like her in Fifth Element. I think that might be it. Yeah. I don't know that. I don't know that I like her at all. I'm sure she's a nice lady. I don't. I don't nothing she does does anything for me. I was looking through her filmography. So it starts in 1988 with Two Moon Junction, which I really yeah. Which, was she a kid in that? I guess. So she had to be like 14, 15. This not, is that where, I've ever, not that I've ever seen it. I, I haven't either, but I, I think I know what it's about. It's a, it's a, it wasn't like a Cinemax or. Yeah. yeah. It's, oh it's yes. A, it's an exotic thriller. There you yeah. go. It's an exotic thriller. All right. Um, yep. The first movie. Zal, Zalman Kane. Is that the guy's name? Oh, yeah. wasn't he a big deal in the, in the nineties or something? Weeks, things like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I first remember her from a, from a little film in 92 called cuffs with Christian Slater. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. She's in that. Yeah, well, if you watch the documentary, I didn't know this till revisiting Cuffs, and I don't know why I put didn't put two and two together in terms of age and when this film came out, but in the movie Cuffs, she's playing a college student, and she's running around her underwear with Christian Slater. Um, she was only 15 during that time in principal photography mm. and had to get her parents and stuff to sign all these special waivers for that. So, wow. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, that's concerning. It yeah. is. It makes it <laughs> very you're hard to get your ass in front of that camera. Show me your butt. Yeah. <laughs> like, come on, dude. What are you doing? Dad? Was that Bill yeah. Cosby again? I don't yeah. know. What that <laughs> <laughs> it makes it hard when, to watch cuffs when you know that she's 15. Um, wow. 
Yeah. I might not I might not ever rewatch Cuffs now. I know I'm not gonna revisit that. Um well, I've never seen it, so I guess I'm gonna keep that off my <laughs> list. So that that would have meant that in return to the Blue Lagoon, she was only 14 years old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was in that too. Yeah. Um she was in Daisy well, Confused in '93, but most of her scenes were cut in the final edit. Right. So she's kind of in the background. And and that gave her sort of a bad taste on acting, and so she just you know pursued pursued her modeling career and everything. And then came back to it in 1997 with the fifth element, which I, you know, I think she's good in, I, I really like the fifth element. I like her in that character. Give her yeah, credit yeah. where it's due. Yeah. I, I think though, that with the fifth element, the thing about the fifth element is really the star of the fifth element is the director. Yeah. I don't, I think, I think Besson is the main reason to watch the fifth element. There's well, no, I, I do like, like the, I like the really, I like the Bruce Willis performance in that. I like Gary Oldman in it too. I'm not going. Oh yeah, well yes, yes. yes. <laughs> Fifth <laughs> Element. It's I think is a good is a good film. I, I, it's not a sci-fi masterpiece in any opinion, but oh. I, it's a strong film. Uh, really, I kind of think it is. Really, uh, I think I think Brad's generation. I think it would make more sense for them to think. Yeah, I don't think Troy and I. I don't think for us it is. I don't know anybody in our age group that. Well, Jose probably likes. It. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I don't mean that in a slight, Jose. I love yeah. you. You know that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Uh, but it was 2002's Resident Evil that became her bread and butter, right? So yes. she made like, and she married Paul W. S. Anderson as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she made 62 Resident Evil movies. <laughs> yeah. Um, which you know, for it, those for those who love those movies, uh, you know, I'm not going to judge you. More power to you. But I I watched the first one and I was like, yep, no, thank you. I enjoy. I, look, it. I feel like that's one that my son and I watch, but they're so. I wouldn't even call them B movies. They're they're C grade. Yeah. But yeah. it's just it's just zombie action films and we have a lot of fun with them. But I think we have a lot of fun with them because of the action and some of the gory goofy stuff that goes on, not because of her whatsoever. I mean, I I think I, she's terrible. Uh, <laughs> One of the movies I remember her from the most is that fourth kind movie. Oh, the alien she comes out film. before it, it starts. She's like, listen, guys, this movie is for real. It really happened, yeah. but it's a movie, but it really happened. And you're like, this is, this is not how you do this. This is not stop it. Yeah. That was directed by Olatunde Asunami. Huh? I don't know what else Olatunde Asunami's done, but. I remember. I do that remember. Movie. I do remember a push for that film, though. Yeah, uh, she was in what I think is one of the worst films of 2020, Monster Hunter. Um, oh, I didn't. I never with saw Tony Jaw. It's terrible. So that 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 one. So that one drives me crazy because that film ticks boxes. It does. Me. It should. Big monsters, big swords. Tony Jaw. I mean, <laughs> unless somebody I don't trust tells me not to see it. And, and Troy, I trust, who told me it wasn't good. I've never watched it because me and Lana guys, it's directed it. by Paul W. S. Anderson. Yeah, and her next film was directed by Paul W. S. Anderson. <laughs> Terrible. I, I mean, I literally was trying to not fall asleep during the middle of that thing. And then when Ron Perlman shows up in this, I don't even know what the hell he was doing um, with that makeup effect. Hey, look, if you do see it, it probably is worth the price of admission just to see Ron Perlman's costume. And that five bucks is it, here's the question. Is it worth five bucks? Digital purchase five bucks. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. There you go. Yeah. You'll have that's fun all, with that. Five bucks. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, I have, I have it on 4k. So I saw it in the theater and bought it, but oh my God. that's, and you didn't like it. And I hate that. Movie. <laughs> it's a curse. It's a Collecting terrible 
physical media is a goddamn curse. Jesus, when I say it out loud, it makes it no sounds, sense, yes. doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, like just, just one more, one more Percocet. Just one more. This, this, this podcast is not uh, an actual episode. This is your intervention. Um, <laughs> Sam and I are here because we love you. Listen, and- I was in Soundgarden. It was on sale for nine ninety five on four K, brand new. Sammy, could I not? How could I, I not know. buy that? Well, ten dollars, ten dollars physical media. Yeah, that's five dollars. That's five dollars digital. Yeah, so there you go. Uh, it probably comes with the digital code, so you know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So oh, yep, you know. Yep, absolutely. Probably has audio commentary track, which like uh, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear Ron Perlman's justification for that outfit. Uh, moving on, Ian McShane, Professor Broom. Yeah. yeah, a little gravitas, I think, to the um, pedigree of actors they're pulling in with Ian McShane. Although mm-hmm. I feel like Ian McShane does Ian McShane anymore. Yes. And yeah. Go ahead. It can't be in a movie saying Bobby Yaga and it not being John Wick. It, it drives me insane. Yeah. yeah. Baba Yaga says my Ian McShane impersonation. Yeah. They, Ian uh, McShane was the, uh, the grandfather or the, the dad in hot rod, Troy. Oh yes, it's true. That's right. He has come up on the podcast before we've got mm-hmm. Sasha Lane as Alice Monaghan. Yeah. I like Sasha Lane. I told Brad this when we were there. I don't yep. American American honey is solid. Okay. Yeah. Uh, was in a, what was that Marvel show? Was a, was it a superhero thing? We talked about Brad. What was she in? Loki. Loki. Oh, she was in Loki. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That series. Don't remember. Very good. Don't remember in Loki. Yeah. Well, I know it's not great, but she was good in it. She was, uh, right. she's also in a movie called the miseducation of Cameron post. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Very, very great movie. I think Troy, I think you're wrong about her. I think she's really good. And I yeah, think hearts, she's, hearts beat loud. She's in that too. And that's also a yeah, very good. I've film only that. seen yeah. her in this and Loki and I wasn't a fan of Loki and I don't remember okay. her in Loki. So yeah, strong okay. recommend on hearts beat loud for me. Nick Offerman film. Very good film. Okay. Uh, what about Daniel day? Kim as major Ben Damio. Now I got excited when Sasha Lane popped on screen, but I didn't get nearly as excited as Brad got when Daniel day. Kim popped up on screen. Cradle to the grave, right? Jet Lee DMX. <laughs> DMX, come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to give it to you. Yeah, I mean, I like Daniel Day Kim. He's good. I mean, he, he kind of got uh, typecast a little bit with Lost and stuff. But uh, Well, he was on Hawaii Five O for like a decade, wasn't he? Uh, I guess. I don't know how long that's been on. I've yeah, never was, watched I, it. It was like 2010 to 2020. It ran for a long time. I think it's still on. Is it? I, th- I thought it ended. I don't know. I don't think so. Oh, okay. Uh, I actually, he was in the Angel TV series, so I remember him from there, too. Um. Sophie Okinado as Lady Hutton. Now I remembered her from a film that I saw in 2018 that I absolutely just adored called Wild Rose with Jesse Buckley. Mm, um, have you seen it yet? I've not seen it, but I know everybody tells me to check it out. Uh, it's great. It's just, you know, it's about a this <laughs> sort of juvenile delinquent from Glasgow who wants to be a country music singer. And Jesse Buckley does, you know, all her own performances and everything. Um, Sophie's in that, uh, she's really good in it, but you got to check out wild Rose, uh, Stephen Graham <laughs> as, as the pig thing, Grugok, something like that. Hog. Wild. I don't know what it was. A boar. Now, a boar. Uh, a fairy. I don't know. Is he a fairy or is he a pig thing? Or is he a part? Does he well, become the fairies a fairy? Left him right as a yeah. child. He's a shape-shifting boar. I gotta say, I, I really, I love the pig guy. <laughs> I can I can attest that Sammy does like the big guy. <laughs> I, lo- I love the Scottish accent. Uh, I love his uh, his character arc. 
uh, to the point to where I almost feel sorry for the pig guy. Well, Steven had an interesting year in 2019. Outside of Hellboy, he was also in Rocket Man, as well as The Irishman. So two really good films. Yeah, you're talking about, I mean, it's Stephen Graham, right? I mean, yeah. it's the same yeah. Stephen Graham I think it is, right? Yes. Yeah, from Snatch. Yeah, he can do uh, he can do mob American or he can do uh, Scottish. He can do anything. That guy's very talented. Yeah. He is. He is really good. And then lastly, I just want to throw out there, you get a cameo, right? So he shows up uh, in the middle of the film and then also in a post-credit sequence, Thomas Hayden Church as Lobster Johnson. <laughs> Lobster which, Johnson, Stacy. <laughs> Yeah, the Thomas Hayden Church yes. deadpan delivery. He nobody nobody delivers lines quite like Thomas Hayden Church. Watch that, me fuck Sandro. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, yeah. No, he's uh, he's yeah, in here. He is. Um, let's before we share about our thoughts on the film, let's talk about production and development. So we've talked about this in the past when we talk about movie bombs. Some it either kind of comes down to maybe a movie from a quality perspective is not released in the right environment time frame to you know it's a little before its time, uh, and then there's this other category of films that they they just have this troubled production and things are not going smoothly, and a lot of times when when you hear stuff like that, it's very rare that a troubled production comes out and ends up being sort of a, a box office hit. But this one from day one had issues, right? So the project began as a sequel to Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, 2008. Andrew Cosby and um, Hellboy creator Mike Mignola Mignola, uh, were going to write the new script. Guillermo del Toro was not offered the full writer-director role he had performed in the first two films. So Mm -hmm. I think they said he could be an executive producer or producer. And Ron Perlman who had portrayed Hellboy in the previous films, refused to return without Del Toro's involvement. And so they decided, all right, we're going to turn this into an R-rated reboot and hire Neil Marshall as a director. Um, So that was the first problem. Then they do some casting, right? Ed Skrine was cast as Ben Damio. However, Scrine voluntarily dropped out of the film following accusations of whitewashing the role he was set to play. Now, his quote was, it is clear that representing this character in a culturally accurate way holds significance for people and that to neglect this responsibility would continue a worrying tendency to obscure ethnic minority stories and voices in the arts. I feel it is important to honor and respect that. Therefore, I've decided to step down so the role can be cast appropriately. So, you know, Film got a lot of blowback for that casting you know, decision, and so the actor stepped away, and, and Daniel came in. During Hellboy's opening weekend, The Wrap published a report that revealed tensions during the film's production. The report stated that producers Lawrence Gordon and Lloyd Levin had chosen to fire the original cinematographer and director Marshall's collaborator, Sam McCurdy. Insiders suggested McCurdy's termination was meant to be, quote, a message to Marshall that he was not in charge. However, Levin's attorney, Martin Singer, denied the allegation and described McCurdy's termination as a group decision. Singer accused Marshall of encouraging the story. Three insiders stated that Levin frequently interrupted Marshall before the cast and crew during rehearsals and attempted to give actors different directions from Marshall's. Singer denied the claim, stating that Levin talked to Marshall after rehearsals. Two insiders stated that Harbor walked off the set 
refusing to film more takes for Marshall. Singer countered that Levin had no recollection of the incident. Two insiders stated that the script was rewritten on set and that Harbour and McShane rewrote their lines. Singer disputed that this was a common practice among film productions. One insider stated that Marshall and Levin had disputes over the design of a tree. A tree. They, they, got, well, the they fought over a tree. Probably, yeah. right? Marshall, that's, a pretty central, that's a pretty important tree. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's not like a fern, Troy. It's like a... Oh, it's yeah, a it's a tree. tree. Got it. It's, <laughs> it's an important tree. Yes. On a weeping willow or something. Yeah. yeah. Well, Marshall, Marshall wanted a realistic, asymmetrical design, while Levin opted for a symmetrical design and overruled Marshall's decision. However, Marshall changed the design to asymmetrical during post-production. Oh, my God. What some petty-ass shit is over, going on? Over a tree. Okay. Wow. Singer denied the claim, stating that all you know, designs... You, you know that's not what it's over, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh Singer denied they the claim. They should just take their dicks out and measure. I was just thinking the like, same thing. Just, this this is on, a dick measuring contest, yeah. not a tree contest. Yeah. Wow. Um, but they're, they're basically saying that the film went through an exhaustive design evolution process. All parties involved Let's refused to comment on the right? report. Sorry. Yeah. So there's an interesting interview with Neil Marshall later. Uh, I, I think I'm going to try and get a clip of it because I usually put clips of the director, you know, people involved in front. So I'm going to play a, a portion of it. But he basically says it was the worst professional experience of his life. So mm. um, according to him, the script was shit. The decision to make the film was a mistake. I signed up because they pitched this idea that we want to do a horror version of Hellboy. We want mm. to bring you and make you a really darker horror version. Um, and he pretty much lost all creative control during the entire process and pretty much disowns the film. So he says it's not part of my my filmography or canon. And uh, he really doesn't acknowledge it. So that's mm. just some of the stories that came out on the production of Hellboy. And uh, it, it doesn't really sound like a lot of people had fun making this thing. Because I, I think even David Harbour um, says some polite things about his time with this, but isn't exactly a fan of it. And is kind of disappointed in terms of how it ended up. So mm. uh, did you guys know any of that information about it? I'd seen it. But yeah. not as I was watching it. No, it was after. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I didn't know as I was watching. Didn't know before it came out. Uh, found out all those things kind of later on. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I'm gonna start with you, Sammy. I, I you surprised I think both Brad and I when Brad picked this, and you were like, "Oh, Hellboy!" I want to jump on and talk about this one. I I I know you're a big comic book fan, and I know how critical you are on comic book films. I feel like I'm a little bit of the opposite. I, I give comic book movies sort of a pass. Because if you if you read enough comic book stories and series, um, there's a lot of garbage out there. So um, it, I I don't know. I I just I'm more forgiving in this genre probably because I've I've grown up with it. But I totally understand where people. I think you and our our good friend John fall into the camp where they know the the origin story of these characters. They know a lot of um, I, I guess the story arcs that they're borrowing from. Yeah, or and the Easter. That's why we're watching it. We can kind of, you know, we pick up on the little throwaway lines, probably. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think if it's used correctly, it's just like this all-time high you get, right? Of just seeing that character or that story come to life. When they don't do it service, you can be super critical of it. But I'm, I'm really curious where you, where you land on this film. So rewatching with Brad, um, it was kind of the experience I remembered it being the first time I watched it. So. I knew at some point watching this film, there's a point where I fall out of it. 
I, I will admit that. Uh, I'll kind of get to where that point is here in just a bit, but I like the buildup to everything here. I, I like the darkness of the movie. And I do think for what they had or what they tried to do, they did try to go darker with this one and try to do some things. It makes sense now that I would feel like Harbor's lines. A lot of them were improvised. Ian McShane. Now that I think about it, he is just doing Ian McShane lines in a lot of ways. He almost sounds like the same character he was in Deadwood. In a lot of ways, he's you know making these kind of goofy quotes and just saying things that come off the top of his head. Um, I like the way that the film sets up this Hellboy as this kind of petulant child. Uh, I like that. Also, uh, I like the the design of Hellboy in this film quite a bit. I like the hairy back and the, <laughs> and the kind of grossness of that. Um, I like all that stuff. I don't know. I and for except for the giant stuff in that first half, the effects to me aren't too awful bad. The Baba Yaga stuff, I really think is pretty cool. Uh, at least I think I like it. It's, it's gross. Um, there's a great line there where David Harbor says, Oh, you got hair on your tongue. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's having fun being gross. And also it's kind of, and I said this to Brad when we were watching it, it's, it's a rock and roll movie. It's, it's, it's you know it's it has needle drops and stuff and I don't a fart, well, maybe fart rock movie is a better description. Yeah, I would yeah, say I mean, fart rock movies probably more. Yeah, it is it is a little bit of a fart rock movie, but I mean, but it is to me it, you know it, it's using these needle drops, heavy guitar music, kind of aggressive. It's going for that angle, and I think it it goes for the comedy. It's not listed on the IMDb. It says action adventure fantasy, but they totally ignore the comedy elements, and I think this movie is actually quite a bit more or at least attempts to be more of a comedy than I think the other two do. I think the first one attempts to be a comedy a little bit. And if I remember the golden army does attempt comedy quite a bit as well, but I need to go back and revisit both of those in some point in time. Just not. I've, I've never read mind. the comics. Do the comics have a lot of comedy within them or are they just more dark tales? In my experience with the Hellboy character itself, like, he's not really a very funny character. Um, only in the sense that he's kind of this, uh, stranger in a strange land type of character. Uh, the BPRD stuff and some of the stuff, the interactions with some of the other kind of Magnolia, ver- Magnolia, Magnolia, Magnolia verse uh, characters, the lobster Johnsons and the uh, ape sapiens and all these other things. Sometimes I think there's, there's comedic interaction there, but what this also feels like is this feels like a movie made by committee in a lot of ways. Like this is a movie we're trying to reboot this and we're trying to create a franchise. So we got Lobster Johnson kind of in the background thinking, yeah, if this goes over well, maybe we'll bring Thomas Hayden Church back. We'll do some Lobster Johnson films, which I, I couldn't see that happening. Who but. the fuck cares? <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. Wait, but, they could do Lobster Johnson shorts like the Marvel Universe did for a while where they would include those on the yeah. Blu-rays? I mean, I, I would not. I mean, the comic, Lobster Johnson comics are pretty good. Uh, this this create. This, I'm sorry. There's a comic book of Lobster Johnson. Stacy, my yeah, dick's got a, a claw on it. <laughs> there's a Lobster Johnson comics. Yes. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, the BPRD and all that stuff is it, it's really good mythos, and there's really good stories there. The film, the problem with this film is, and it happens about it happens when the Blood Queen goes back to the tree that everybody argued about. Once it goes there, it almost goes full tilt CGI. And it really feels like a completely different movie from that point until the end. It, it feels like, like at that point, Neil Marshall or somebody is just trying to get the hell out of there. 
uh, including us, including me, including Brad, including you, Troy, I'd imagine. I don't know that for a fact. We're going to find out from you. But I mean, for me, I don't uh, I don't think this film's a masterpiece, but I don't think it's a bad Hellboy movie either. I think for two thirds of it, it's a pretty good Hellboy movie. I think the last third really falls off a cliff. And I think part of the problem is Mila Jovovich is in it too much at the end. And she brings it down every time she talks in the movie. I'm sorry. I hate to say bad things about actors because I can't do that. Um, I don't look like Mila Jovovich. I think I, you, you I, might be able to do a better job than her with her Shakespeare accent thing I don't know. that she's doing. I really don't know. I don't know. But that stuff toward the end, even as much as I love the pig man, now he's a giant pig man. Now we got a panther man. Now we got... We got all these CGI things going around and it gets into that same pool of conversation like Venom. You know, I enjoy the Venom film, but I enjoy the Venom film because of Tom Hardy. I don't enjoy the Venom film because of Venom. So it gets into that logic of what am I willing to buy? Well, up until they go back to that blood tree and all these animals come crawling up the hill and all this silliness starts to transpire, I'm in. And then it just goes so far up its own rear end that I don't care anymore. And that's the worst. That that's probably the biggest crime the film commits, in my opinion. What did, I think it's funny up until then. I think it's funny. I mean, I, I do. I think the giant hunt is funny. I think it's. Uh, I think David Harbour's funny with the phone. <laughs> I know that's a small moment, but I think it's funny. You know, he breaks the phone with his regular hand. That that's a good joke, guys. That's a good joke. <laughs> he breaks it with his big hand, then he breaks it with his regular hand. He says, "Oh, come on." Uh, you know, that's a that's a good joke. I think that. The interaction between him and the young girl, the, uh, uh, what's her name? Alice. Uh, yeah, Alice. Sasha Lane. Yeah. 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 I think that stuff's good. Um, but I do agree. It feels like a movie that was made as it goes. I, I can't deny that. Like, it doesn't feel like it has a, it feels rudderless in a lot of ways. It feels like it's out there. It's floating on the ocean, but it ain't got no idea where it's going. Now it is borrowing from some Hellboy stories, right? Or yeah. a couple of them. Yeah. I believe so. Okay. I believe the Blood Queen is factors into some Hellboy story of some sort. As a matter of fact, I think they originally were going to call this Hellboy, uh, the Blood Queen, mm-hmm. Rise of the Blood Queen. I think is what it's called. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But they just decided to kind of do the reboot thing. I think for me, what I got watching it this time was I realized they were trying not only just to restart Hellboy. Everything needs to be a franchise now. So I think they're not only trying to start. Re- I mean. Mike McNoah's got a whole, he's got a whole closet full of characters. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they thought that they could make some money off of this, that they wouldn't have tried to some other films. Maybe not Lobster Johnson, but certainly maybe an Abe Sapien or I guarantee you a BPRD franchise would have definitely came out of this if this would have been a hit. Is the BPRD just a horror version of the Men in Black, more or less? Yeah. Yeah. It's just Hellboy, Abe Sapien. And some other characters basically hunting, you know, werewolves, vampires, right, myths and legends and things like that. So, I mean, it's nothing original, but it's kind of fun because you got Hellboy and Ape Sapien, these kind of obtuse, kind of strange characters kind of doing these things. I don't know. I, 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 I think the first 45, 50 minutes of this has got charm. I really do. And I think it's dark. I mean, me and Brad were kind of watching it. And I mean, at one point, man, uh, he's eating soup and it's it's baby soup. It's kid soup. It's human kid soup. <laughs> little yeah, baby Baba Yaga's in. Rocky Locker. There's babies upside down. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah, there's baby soup. Yeah, that sequence is super dark. I'll, I'll say this. Even in the third uh, act, when all the monsters are coming up from the, I, I, I guess, hell, 
uh, and what they end up doing, it, it's pretty disgusting. I mean, it's it looks like something out of a Clive Barker film, some of the monsters and stuff that they create. But yeah. they, they just do these sequences where all of a sudden they're just walking around and destroying like parts of the city and it's totally and gruesome pulling people apart. Yeah, it's, yeah. It just, it feels like a Hellraiser 10 film versus a Hellboy reboot. Um, yeah. I mean, it does go the horror. I mean, if they say that they wanted Neil Marshall to come in and do the horror elm, I mean, this movie is, it's, it's a juicy movie. It's a, it's a, oh, yeah. it's a bloody film. Uh, it's a little over reliant on CG, which is a shame because I, th- I mean, and of course with the monsters, the giants and the giant monsters, you kind of have to go that route a little bit. So I understand, but I don't know. I, I just, for some reason, once it gets past that point and Mila Jovovich becomes such a big part of the movie, for me, she is not a good enough counterweight to the David Harbor performance for me to care about what happens on the back end of the film. Okay. And that's my initial thoughts. So okay. Makes sense. All right, Brad. So you got to watch it in the presence of the, the wonderful, great Sammy. I'm sure that elevated the viewing experience in and of itself, right? <laughs> I, I will say, yes, it was very nice to, to watch a, watch a movie with another human being. Um, it's your dominoes, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry, Troy. Um, I think, okay. So my first initial thought was we, we open this movie we have King Arthur and we have Merlin and I'm like, what in the GD are we doing? Um, and then it kind of, it, it, it salvages itself and it, it kind of gets moving and I'm like, okay, now we're in Mexico. I want to see Hellboy be like a, a vampire hunter. That will be cool. And then we move on really quick from that. And then we're like, oh, now we're going to do these giants. We're going to go hunt these giants. I'm like, oh, I want to see that movie. I want to see Hellboy fight giants. Mm-hmm. And we get that for a little bit. And then we move on to something else. And it's just always like kernels of ideas in this movie that are seem kind of cool. Like I'd want to see that movie. But then we're always going back to this other thing about the Blood Queen. And she's like the least interesting part of this movie. And of course, the whole third act hinges on the fact that he's going to have a like a showdown with the Blood Queen. And again, we've mentioned it, but Mila Jovovich isn't good enough or have like the gravitas to play like a threatening villain. And mm. it really kind of destroys this movie. I think I think the writing in this is is probably one of the poor movies we've watched. There are some funny parts, but it just seems like there's no cohesion with what's going on. Um, like I was talking to Sammy, it was like this guy, uh, uh, Daniel Day Kim's character, we obviously know that something's going on with them, but they have to save the reveal to the third act. And like, we're revealing way too much in the third act. Like let's, we don't need his reveal to come so late. We don't need the reveal of why he had that bullet. Like it ends up being nothing. There's so many threads in this movie. I feel kind of are left on kind of, they just kind of are left unresolved. But ultimately, I, I kind of did enjoy it a little bit more than I thought. I didn't love it, and I wouldn't say that I liked all of it, but it had me for a good solid hour. Um, yeah, God, but- the Merlin stuff and the Excalibur <laughs> and all this stuff is so stupid. Yeah. Um, but like, there's actually a really cool shot where he's like full Hellboy riding on like a dragon or something and like murdering <laughs> everyone. And I'm like, that looks cool. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, but, I don't think we brought up that this is two hours long. I don't know if we yeah, brought it, is it, up two, it is two hours long is another thing that doesn't help it at all. Yeah. Um, and again, this is one of those also one of those movies where you could just see the money dry up as that runtime goes. Because, boy, <laughs> these special effects, I feel bad because I know they, you know, they outsourced a ton. They had over 800 and I'm sure as they're changing stuff that maybe they're changing what this is, what the special effects to be and what this shot's going to be and, you know, who's going to be in this shot and all this stuff. I'm sure they're changing that stuff. So the special effects houses probably were, you know, in a losing battle to begin with, because I hate picking on special effects people because I, I wonder it's if it's like a time thing. It's always time. If, like seven, they can make, if 750 credits of the 800 and whatever went to the tree. Oh yeah, we're just changing, just the changing the tree back and forth. Yeah, is it is it symmetrical? Is it asymmetrical? Whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, I like David Harbor. Again, I think if you're going to replace Ron Perlman, who I think is perfect for this movie, um, David Harbor is probably a, a nice, you know, a backup there. I just, man, there's just so many things in this movie that are going on, and so many I feel like better movies. Um, that I wish they would have kind of picked one and gone with it. Like mm-hmm. the Lobster Johnson thing is so unnecessary. Like we don't need to go back and see a Nazi wearing 3D glasses in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, like why why are we going back to his origin story? We 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 know the origin story. Um, you know, and I think this one suffers from the Deadpoolization of the character as well. Like Deadpool came out in. 16 and this is three years later and it's like no we have to be like deadpool we've got to be this we've got to be that and it's just it doesn't sammy like i think some of the comedy works but like there's like a line about uber in this movie and you're like oh god come on not not an uber line and there's a a google translate line and you're like god these these lines are terrible i don't know i thought Um, the google translate line was okay but the uber one was bad i'll agree it's it's bad it's bad um so ultimately i i think I think it's an okay movie. It's too long and the third act is pretty bad and the special effects get kind of wonky, but then there's other times. And, and, it, and like we said, cause there's so many different special effects houses doing this. I'm sure some people, you know, got to do more stuff and, and got longer time. Like the boar looks good. I think the boar effect is, is a good effect. Um, yeah. And but like when he's fighting the giants, it looks kind of wonky and everything in the third act looks kind of wonky. That tiger leopard thing is atrocious looking. It looks like <laughs> a PlayStation two game, like all of a sudden <laughs> busting out. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's held down by a few things. Mila Jovovich kind of being the main sort of catalyst for why I don't like this movie. Okay. Yeah. I mean, she is really bad in this movie. I mean, I, I, like I said, she I has really, no sort of charisma or gravitas or anything to kind of, even, yeah, not even sexuality. No, <laughs> no. And she's like a, a attractive, you would think they would at least play up that. Now I yeah. will say there's a sequence in this movie that I think is pretty stellar. And that's the Bobby Yaga house, yeah. the chicken house thing. I think <laughs> that's like, like a weird sort of like I want to I do I want to see Bobby Yaga verse um, Hellboy now Sammy I don't know if you know this or not but I looked online and there's actually a second singer 
stinger scene. Oh, you guys didn't see that? It comes after all the credits. So there's two yeah, post credit sequences. We, we stopped. We, we stopped after we got 500 and something names through the credits. Oh, yeah. okay, yeah. There's there's the so you get through yeah, so the fancy Bobby credits. Yaga comes back at the end, right? Yeah, so you get the fancy credits and you get the Lobster Johnson uh, cemetery sequence. Yeah, then you go through sweet. all the credits and you see the setup for the sequel with um, Baba Yaga. Yeah, she's saying something about if you do this for me, I'll bring him back or something like that. Yeah. And mm-hmm. yeah, I mean the Baba Yaga sequence is a highlight of the whole thing. Oh yes, yeah. I think it it might be worth. Is it worth the two hours for that? I, it could be. It could. Be. I I bought the movie essentially because of the Baba Yaga sequence. Okay. Okay. I've I've bought movies for less. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I own Monster Hunter, so. I would, <laughs> um. Uh. <laughs> Uh, so I'm Let's hear with Troy because Troy's going to be the outlier here because Brad and I kind of know where we were to begin with because we were together. So Troy was, uh, I'm kind of curious. Yeah, I get it. I mean, you, you, you said it's a two hour movie. So you're basically saying like two thirds of it, a lot of fun, da da da. Third of it falls off. I don't know what you guys had in the pizza or what you had with the pizza. This thing's fucking terrible. Okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> this, okay. Is, this is a wow. piece of shit. <laughs> it's, wow. it's terrible. Um, I, I, and here's the thing. I, I will sit here and defend Howard the duck and some of these films till I'm blue in the face. <laughs> so I'm not coming at this from some type of critical, uh, like championing some other film that does it better than this. And and I won't even say here that the Guillermo del Toro films, the Hellboy and Hellboy two, I liked them. I don't, I don't absolutely love them. I mean, the Hellboy is a character that I find is super interesting. And I like the other two films quite a bit. This one, the, the minute I saw the trailer, I'm like, Oh hell no. He looks like, you know, Hellboy went on some crash diet and looks Ethiopian. Um, <laughs> David Harbour, I think is a great actor and I think he's the best casting choice that they could come up with at the time. Um, and, and I love the fact that he got a chance to do this. Uh, but, but let's get into the things that you guys you're dancing around and I don't think you're calling out the shit that it is. Um, okay. oh, let's, let's, Before, uh, be, uh, so because we're comparing, I want, I just wanted to do apples yeah. to apples. So yeah. Hellboy one had a budget of $66 million. So mm-hmm. in 2004, it had, more money than 2019 sure grosses like a hundred million dollars so like modest success and then golden army has an 85 million dollar budget it makes like 170 mm-hmm. so we're not even playing in the same league like with money and this is 2019 so okay go ahead 50 million dollars in 2019 is a low budget movie yeah uh, yeah no well, i i, I, well, I mid, get that mid budget movie a mid 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 budget movie probably. i i i think it's best to say that um <laughs> those budgets had a very specific um, visualization attached to them Mm. and it was a singular vision and that's what makes it work so well. Mm. This one maybe had a $50 million budget, but it was going after $200 million worth of ideas Yes, and and it needed to pare it down. Okay. Um, It was going, it was going for $200 million in profits too. it, It was, but I, I when when you hear the stories behind the scenes of this thing, it makes total sense what ends up on the screen. Mm. And there are three things that you guys are kind of dancing around, but I, I don't I don't think we're giving credit um, into how terrible they are. Okay. And and the first one is the script. The script is atrocious. 
there's lots, and I mean lots of exposition and lots of explaining the same thing over and over again. I mean, how many times are we going to be reminded that King Arthur and Merlin are a part of this story? And and there's a point in time where, I mean, the, the first 10 minutes, you're seeing what's going on with a voiceover telling you what you're seeing that's going on. And then 20 minutes into the film, somebody repeats pretty much what the voiceover said that happened at the beginning of the film. I mean, yeah, the yeah. script is all just all exposition. Um, and then you get you get big, bold letters telling you where the story takes place with fart rock playing in the background and then lots of exposition again, usually about King Arthur and then a couple of action scenes and then on to the next set of big, bold letters with fart rock and it's sort of rinse repeat. That's the script. Mm. Um, it's attempt at humor is an attempt. Um, <laughs> and, and even then I think a sixth grader wrote it. Um, <laughs> that's the first big problem. The second is there is zero, maybe negative. There's negative chemistry between David Harbour, Sasha Lane and Daniel day Kim. These three are not any fun together whatsoever. Their playful bickering is just annoying. There's, yeah. there's zero. There's nothing. And and when Hellboy and uh, the Ben character are kind of going at it, you know, and, and trying to, yeah, you got a petulant little teenager Hellboy over here and, and Soldier Boy Ben, and they're going at it with, you know, the, the Alice character trying to play, oh, I don't know, referee between the two, and it, yeah. and it should be fun banter. It's not, it's just, yeah. please get, get to the next big bold letters so that we can get over, get through this like two hour thing. And, <laughs> and I, so zero, I think, I think Harbor and Sasha Lane are good together. I think I, do, I agree with that. I think you both were taking edibles. Um, and we've already said it, but you guys are allegedly, allegedly, you guys aren't saying it enough. Um, Mila, <laughs> she's look, I, I know what happened. She uh, she spent a summer doing Shakespeare in the Park in Shoals, Indiana, um, and wanted to try out her new accent in the latest Resident Evil movie, but didn't get a chance because that series got canceled. And so she she has to use it in this film. It's terrible. Mm -hmm. um, she's really the worst thing about the film. Um, and, and it's not so much as acting as it is sort of a, a crime against all decency and good taste. I mean, she's that bad. I, I can get, I mean, she's pretty bad. I mean, it, it, it's up there with some of the worst performances I've ever seen. Absolutely. It's top 10. Like I just, I love it when Troy hates things. I love it so much. It's, it's, it's yeah. fucking terrible. I mean, it's, and I can get past the lame script and the zero chemistry between the heroes, but she torpedoes <laughs> any enjoyment when she pops up on screen. And here's yeah. the thing. I, I actually like the creature designs. Like I'm, I'm a, I'm one of those people that show me an interesting creature. I mean, that's, that's one of my favorite things about the star Wars franchise is just, all the stuff that's you know, in the background, right? One of the creatures here is wearing people on his leg. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's some really cool stuff going on in the background. One of yeah. them looks like a, a giant vagina face. <laughs> yeah. With fire coming out of it. Uh, it's. I knew her in high school. Hey, yo. <laughs> oh my God. But, and that's the thing. Like, this is one of those films that uh, I, I think the the CG here's the thing I find the CGI to be dodgy especially towards the back end but I like the designs they're going for mm -hmm. and I'll take dodgy CGI with creative designs any day versus something boring and good CGI mm -hmm. um, 
but I, the, the problem is that the creatures and the design lack any weight, but I don't know if it's the design at lacks any weight as much as you're just not vested into the script and what's going on with anything in these characters. And honestly, this really should have just been a, a fun middle of the road action horror film. Um, but it's those three main problems that just drag it to the depths of just stupidity. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there, there's some really good elements here. I mean, once you get past the King Arthur Merlin stuff where again, I can't, I can't think of, um, outside of maybe Ishtar, the first 20 minutes of Ishtar, absolutely one of the worst 20 minutes in film history. <laughs> this one isn't that bad, but man, the first 10 minutes of having some, a narrator tell you exactly what you're seeing. That's fucking annoying. I don't recall in the comics and maybe I'm wrong, but I don't recall anything with King Arthur and Hellboy. So I don't, I just, I think, I, I don't know, know if that was a decision they decided to come up with here. I think it's, what? it's a story element to make it more relatable because if you're not familiar with the comics, you got to have some mythos or legend that it's attached to. So I can understand somebody going, well, everybody knows King Arthur, throw that shit in there. Um, so I, I'm sure that was to kind of bridge the, the gap between the comic book readers and the mouth breathers that, you know, go to the movies. Um, so it, it, but you know, there, there are a couple of sequences. We talked about the, the Baba Yaga. I do like that. That whole sequence is impressive. It's impressive. Visually it has tension um, the humor in there works because it's that the, the scary Bobby humor. Yaga milk mustache after the kiss is disgusting. Yeah. Oh my God. I love um, where this movie should have started is probably in the first 15 minutes with the Lucha Libra match where he goes up against a wrestler who turns into a giant vampire bat and then he impales. I'm like, that's, that's the movie I'm looking for. So yeah. Brad, I agree with you. There's elements in there where you go, well, that that's pretty interesting. The giant sequence. I like it. I think it's fun. I think, the giants look a little dodgy, but again, it's one of those things where I think it's still visually interesting um, with what they were doing and the action sequences with the giants um, in terms of scale of Hellboy to the giants. Now he takes them out. That's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, I think they're $50 million now that, so I'm watching this with Brad last Friday and I am thinking this is a hundred million dollar movie. I didn't even know until we recorded this podcast, this was only a $50 million movie. I would have thought so I will say if if I'm giving it a compliment I think my compliment would go um specifically to Joel Harlow. I, I if anything saves this film it's Joel Harlow. Uh I really like what he was going for. Even the Hellboy design at the end in the third act when he kind of turns bad and you get his horns with the crown and everything, even though he still looks Ethiopian, like have a sandwich, dude, just something. He's malnourished. Hey man, he's got to be cut nowadays, man. All of our heroes. He's not be even cut. cut, dude. He looks, he <laughs> get the guy some IV. He looks skin and bones. He needed some dominoes. That's what he needed. He needed yeah, he some did. dominoes. Um, dude, I crushed, I crushed that dominoes. <laughs> I will, I, I'll be there to verify. Brad did crush that dominoes. So. I, I think you're on a pizza high uh, when you watch this thing. But no, I, I just, it's, it saddens me because when you, when you look at the tapestry that's going on in the background, there's so much interesting stuff going on, but it's all of the things that are happening in the foreground, um, really the script and the actors, and I won't even call Mila an actor in this thing, the, the, the atrocity against decency, um, that's happening in this thing. Uh, it's, 
those things just the hate the hate crime, if you will, the hate crime, if you will, of her of her performance. Um, it's terrible. I, this film, it, it now stay away from it, man. It's terrible. I, I don't think it's terrible. I, 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 don't, I don't. I don't. I really don't. I think if you go back and watch the original Hellboy, I think you'll find that that movie, in my opinion, I think. And it's again, my opinion. I don't think that movie goes as far as I don't think it carries as much weight as anybody thinks anymore. I, think I, I would agree with you. I, I like it. I, I would put it this way. I like it more than this one, but I think it's a more competently made and acted film than this one. Yeah. But I don't think it sets the world on fire. Sure. Sure. I think, you know, the, what you're talking about here is movie by committee versus movie by, you know, one single vision, one single voice. Well, no movies really one single voice, at least most of them aren't. So, I mean, Del Toro, though, you can definitely feel like the first Hellboy's a Del Toro film. This, you definitely don't feel, except for some visual and some gore elements, you don't really feel like it's a Neil Marshall movie. Yeah. So that's that's part of the problem here. Yeah, I think I think I hate it when directors that have a certain flair and style come onto a movie and you don't see any of that mm-hmm. on screen and you're like, why 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 get Neil Marshall for this? You could have got anybody. Um yeah. and then you learn that they didn't really let him do his thing as much. You're like, why why are you getting Neil Marshall? Like he could be doing other things. Um yeah. And I was on like, you know, I was on a Neil Marshall high because some of his directing in Game of Thrones are some of the best episodes that they've done. And, and yeah, I just, excised for some of the human gushers they have in this, it's, it's, it's not a Neil Marshall movie at all. Yeah. yeah I, I, I will say this. I would watch any of Mila's Resident Evil movies over this thing. I'd, I'd watch that new Resident, Welcome to Raccoon City. I mean, I saw it in the theaters because Cameron and I are huge Resident Evil fans. We thought it was okay. I mean, it. it I actually kind movie? of. Is she in that? Th- no, she's not no. in it. It's a it's I'll a reboot. Watch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I actually found that movie kind of fun. It's it, way more fun than this movie. Oh, absolutely. And and like I said, again, it's a it's it's a video game film, but it it knows what it is, and it does it sticks to that thing, right? For me though, that's not apples to apples though, because I mean, you're talking about me. I, you're talking what I, if you're saying you will watch any of the Resident Evil films? Yeah. Without with her in them, oh yeah. As opposed to this, yeah. yeah. Well, first of all, I I can't compare that because I haven't seen any of those films. Or I think I saw the first one. That was it. I was like, I'm done. But I I don't know. I I don't know if I could get behind that. But I'd have to see it. I'd have to see it to know. know, Some of those latter ones are so bad, Troy. (laughs) But I I think it comes down to this: that there's there's a level of competency, and. How, how do I explain it? So right before the movie ends in this film, Hellboy, you get this technically competent action sequence. It's supposed to be like a single take, right? So you've got Hellboy running in, shooting things. All of a sudden, Alice has these new superpowers where she's got brass knuckles and can punch people's spirits out. And you got the the uh, Ben character turns in and outside of his, his kitty cat thing, scratching people. Um, and... It Are you should, talking about the uh, kickstart my heart scene? Yeah, yeah, with the Motley Crue playing in the background. Yeah. So it, which feels like it feels like a tacked on thing altogether. It, it does, but I'll say this: like from a how it's shot, how it's how the choreography is done, it's competently done. Oh yeah, no, no, it's 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 well done. But it's super empty and it's not exciting at all. 
that's a good example of too little too late. It, it is. And it's okay for a genre film um, to just be middle of the road if it executes it correctly and just has a pace or, or visceral experience to it to where you, it's just like riding a roller coaster, right? You go, I've well, ridden yeah. a bunch of different roller coasters. You know, there's ups or downs, you know what to expect, but you just, you, you're going along for the thrill. I, I feel like some of the genre films can do that, but I, I, there's a point in the movie where you go, why is the kitty cat guy, the leopard guy? Why, <laughs> why does he lose his clothes? And then all of a sudden when he, morphs back into it. He's got his clothes back on. Um, well, there's, there's a couple tears in there, man. Well, it, no, he loses everything, <laughs> but, but it's, it's those kind of details that when you start thinking about that, you go, okay, the movie just, it's not working and it takes you out of it because you're gravitating to that. Whereas in the resident evil films, you're not thinking about any of those details. You're like, it's all stupid. It, the physics don't work. And I'm okay with that because it's committed to that. It's committed um, to its own stupidity. It, so it has, yes. So I think what what the point you're trying to make here is this is a movie that struggles with tone because the tone yes. is all over the place. You you're and, you are interpreting you're yes, you speak Troy. Thank you. <laughs> because <laughs> I I will admit, me and Brad are watching it. We're laughing at certain parts, we're we're uh, at other parts. It's it's so up and down. It is it's so up and down all over the place. And then it has these little moments, these little homage moments of coolness, like regardless of what your mileage of kickstart my heart by Molly crew is that sequence is fun because now there's, it's just violence and metal, you know, cock rock. It's just, it's just, well, that, just, that sequence to me, like someone, it seems like, like an executive is like, no, we, we got to prove to the people that these guys are on a team. Yeah. And that we can bring them back and we and can, we can bring them fun. back. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. Totally. I think they were trying to sell some BPRD t-shirts because that's what he was no wearing. Doubt. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I, I, for me, like the biggest sin of this movie is that it feels like a studio saying, look, man, there's a lot of money to be made in these comic book films. We got to find a way to get all of these really cool Mike Magnola uh, creations to the screen because we could just be printing money. Oh, I, I agree. hundred percent, a hundred million dollars. And, when you can feel that or when you can see that it's kind of a, it's kind of almost like a smack in the face a little bit. It is. It's not fun. I, and, and again, I'm not going to sit here and say that movies like resident evil, any of the reboots, whatever um, the Punisher movies that they did, you know, with varying degrees of Dolph Lundgren and Thomas Jane, all those Howard, the duck, all of these comic book adaptions. I, I think it kind of comes down to at some point, uh, very few in this category of comic book adaptions at bomb. Very few are going to find one where you go, man, that was just ahead of its time. And it is a near perfect film. I, they're all problematic in my opinion. And it kind of comes down to your weighing things. Right. And so to your point is, did they get the script right? Is it the poor, is at least the visuals good? And, and you start kind of getting this column of like pros and cons, and then you find out where it outweighs is, is, are there more pros and cons, vice versa? This one just feels like somebody took a list of all the things that they thought would make a great comic book movie because I, I like your analogy, Brad. Deadpool was doing this. We can do that, and we can do it with a harder R um, because that's the nature of you know this story, and let's go do it. And everybody got to kind of – put their idea in a hat and they were drawing it out of a hat and go, well, great, let's do this sequence now. That's how the script was written. I guarantee it. 
Yeah. 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 Cause I mean, ultimately like the Osiris club, what was the point? I, I don't, there, I, there was none. And it, you're just like, okay, well, uh, yeah. And that's like a 20 minute sequence that has literally no bearing on the story at all. I mean, yeah. It, I mean, there's probably a better story just in Hellboy, Hellboy in that prologue with the, the Lucha Libre, mm-hmm. uh, him going back and then creating a, a story from the Osiris club and the giants and never going past that. Yeah. Baba Yaga could still be there, but the whole other hour of the blood queen stuff. And even, even though I love the pig man, all that stuff, it all kind of feels like it's all just kind of, I mean, it, it does. I like the film. I'm not going to sit here and lie, but it does feel like it's a kid with a bunch of toys or a bunch of Legos. And you're, you got one kid who's like, we're going to build this house. And you got the other kids like, we're going to pour it all out and screw your house. We're going to destroy it. <laughs> it. It feels like that. I mean, it, it literally feels like a large scale version of two guys fighting over a tree. No, it, I agree. And, and hey, look, I don't I would never look down on anybody who goes, man, I loved Hell, Hellboy 2019. I get it. I, it's, some, my, it's my personal favorite Hellboy movie. And, and I totally understand that. I mean, when, when I look at the visuals, I've known that fact. I don't know if I'd have you over my house. <laughs> <laughs> no. Hey, hey, you love what you love, right? I mean, no, yeah. well, I mean, I'm going to have to go back and watch the other two. It's, it's been a long time. It's been. Well, I haven't seen either one of them since they came out. So. Well, I'll tell you this. I kind after I watched this one, I in my head I'm like, well, do I go back and watch the other two? I'm like, nah, nah. I, re- I really this character just doesn't do it for me. I don't know why, but there therein lies an interesting thing. I don't I don't know that the Hellboy character works in cinema. I think Hellboy <sighs> is an interesting creation visually. He doesn't talk that much in the comics. Yeah, I think he's just so striking looking that it's hard not to keep him out of movies. Yeah. Oh, he looks great. I mean, the Hellboy create. I mean, that's a that's a great looking character. The 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 obscenely liked, large hand. But I like those animated films. Mm-hmm. I yeah, I like I, those. I don't feel like he talked that much in those animated films. Maybe I'm wrong though. Maybe uh, maybe I need to go back and look at that stuff. Uh, I don't feel like I can tell you this in the comics. He is not a quip master. Yeah, I I think that you know what I think that is what kind of annoys me a little bit because there, there were the Ron Perlman. I, I like his performance of Hellboy. I I think he's a lot of fun in it, but it's still too '80s action hero ish for me. That Arnold Schwarzenegger kind of quips. I don't know if it works for me, but mm-hmm. I don't remember it in the Hellboy animated films. There there were two of them: Blood and Iron and Sword of Storms. And they came out in 2006, 2007. So it was it was in between Hellboy and Hellboy 2. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah. really I really liked those. But in terms of Hellboy and Hellboy 2, I, I thought they were okay. I don't know. I'm just, I'm not fascinated with this character. But man, I'll, I'll watch The Punisher. And I'm like, man, I think I want to go back and watch another Punisher film. There's something about The Punisher character I, I think is kind of cool. I don't know. Hellboy, maybe not so much. Punisher War Zone is a dumbest balls movie but i think it's awesome I, I, it's I better than this film <laughs> yeah. oh yeah 100 times better than this film but yeah. i think that i think that that i just don't know if the hellboy universe is as interesting as it, it's kind of like the underworld universe or some of these other universes that have been created in this modern time where you know you take these mythos of werewolves and vampires and fishmen and things like that you try to mix in some 
some Mason shit and some uh, King Arthur shit. And eventually you just stop caring about all that stuff because it's like, what, whatever happened to good old fashioned silver bullets and werewolves? <laughs> well, yeah. it's, I mean, Van Helsing, right, was is a perfect example of, hey, we've got this mummy thing. Now we're turning it over to Van Helsing and the whole yeah. trajectory of that. I really hate Van Helsing. I think that movie's terrible, too. Um, yeah. And I'll say this, the- Hellboy, I think, has way more interesting visuals than Van Helsing ever did. Um, yeah. Who was that? Steven Summers did that one? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I, I don't know. I just <laughs> sometimes these movies, though, and you, and I know I know you guys have movies like this. Sometimes these movies just for whatever reason, you're on their side. And for for me, this is one of those uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is one of those films for me, too. For whatever reason, I'm on the side of that movie. It's not a very good movie, but I'm on the side of it for some reason. Uh, the Brendan Fraser mummy film, uh, the first two, especially. Oh, no, I, I no, Those are fun. Yeah. But I mean, sometimes you just get on the sides of these films, right? And and for whatever reason, something speaks to you. Um, I, I that I'm I'm so glad you kind of bring that up because in my head I'm like, what is the difference between a Brendan Fraser mummy film and a Hellboy 2019? There there's some secret sauce in it. Like there's something that clicks either between the performance, the script, the visuals, whatever. Uh, visually, if you go back and look at like Scorpion King or the mummy films, they're they're a little dodgy. Um, just because of the time that they're made in for special effects, but they still work to a certain degree. And I, 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 again, you'll, you'll have to read my mind, Sammy, because the tone thing is exactly what I was feeling. Yeah. There's this aspect of adventure to those films that is lacking in this one. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, we go out to search for again, Merlin and they're, looking for him for like 30 seconds and then they find him and then you're like okay we're here like that's not how an adventure movie goes yeah either show me an airplane flying on a map with a red line yeah or you phone you show me something else like you can't you can't discover something and be there in 30 seconds that's not how they're they're everywhere as soon as they find out the red queen's attacking london they're like some other part of the world they're like oh we're in london colorado they're in the the colorado yeah they're in the merlin cave and they find out the blood queens attacking the city and they immediately go there. Yeah. And me and Brad even commented to each other like, wow, they got there quick. I mean, it just, at that point, the movie is just some, it's just a mishmash of it is. scene mm-hmm. and beat. It's not even at that point. They're not even trying to make a movie anymore. Yeah. That, that cathedral stuff is pretty bad. Pretty bad. Yeah. That last sequence in the cathedral is, is bad. Uh, like I said, for me, it, when, when Jovovich goes to the tree, and the witches come back out and all this garbage and all this mythos stuff starts going through. Um, the movie completely, at that point, I just do not care anymore. There's some good looking visuals, the big monsters and stuff. There's some good gore. But man, I, I really, at that point, could not care less about that movie anymore. Um, and we, we haven't even mentioned how bad that when Alice like gets to talk through the people and like <laughs> whatever comes out of her mouth is like that whatever happened in a movie where you just your eyes roll back in your head and you there the person's voice comes out of your mouth so easy just do that you don't have to make it this is how lazy the script is there's an action sequence where alice and ben are fighting off people and she starts punching them and their spirits leave right and ben turns to her and is like well i didn't know you could do that how long you been doing that she's like i don't know i guess i can just do it now and i'm like really yeah, they never her, explain it. Her powers just come and go based on what yep. you need at the point, uh, I guess, to service the plot moving forward. 
but it's just it's a lazy dumb script it's, it's so bad yeah. well i mean I, I think it's exactly what you said once you i i had done no research on this so once you tell me that there's all this bickering going on behind the scenes and essentially this screenplay screenplay by committee harbor's having a bad time probably Ian mcshane's having a bad time they're just going with it just to get it done yeah collecting a paycheck well, yeah everything makes sense now Everything makes sense because the movie is sloppy. It's very sloppy. It's as sloppy as the Baba Yaga kiss. <laughs> it's sloppier it, than that. Hair kiss. On your tongue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's a great. That's a great line. I don't care what you say. That's a great line. It's like going oh, to hair on your tongue. <laughs> this is the way he does it. <laughs> it is. It is so good. But I, I just. I. I mean, my opinion. I, my opinion is Look, you're. You're like, hey, that Baba Yaga sounds awesome. I'm going to get through the two hours. It isn't worth it. But yeah, I, I can't argue your side of the equation and and i know brad dislikes this more than i do uh, i can't argue with you guys i can only say that i think for two-thirds of this it's a pretty fun hellboy movie i i get that I, and i here's the thing i i want to get that i really do um <laughs> because i i love that lucha libre sequence i love the baba yaga sequence yeah. um the, the, i i do like the pig guy uh, Stephen Graham's character—it's the giant sequence—is a lot of fun. I think it's a lot of fun, um, and there's some standout things that occur. But oh my gosh, it's been a while since I've watched a film where you you start to make your list and you go, "Man, this could be marginal. This could go either way." But then there's these three things that just come out of left field and crush your spirits while you're watching this thing, um, and and one of them being you know named the. Mila Jovovich, uh, she's oh god, yeah, uh, terrible. I thought I thought she was terrible in Monster Hunter. Like I I believed monsters existed more than she was in the army. Um, but this one, this one just takes the cake for being the worst thing she's ever done ever. I'll, I'll admit she has a look, and the camera likes her. I just don't think acting should be her. You know, modeling should be her career, not acting. Uh, Agreed. I just get rid of that Shakespeare accent or whatever she's doing. I don't know what she's doing. She's doing some kind of weird gravelly voiced Shakespeare thing here. That's just drove me crazy the whole time. Uh, yeah. I, if there were babies around, I would be punching them. It was terrible. <laughs> Hang them up in your meat locker. Oh yeah. I'd be making baby hand stew or whatever oh, she was eating. <laughs> boy. Oh, <laughs> uh, that was a, that, was that goes good. places. It does. Um, well, Sammy, any, any other thoughts you have on this one? No, no, no. I, I think that's enough. Uh, you know, I'm glad. I, I'm glad I own it. I don't have to watch the 4K at home. I've watched it at Brad's house, so I can put it away in the collection. <laughs> until, <laughs> you know, my to watch pile got a little smaller. I can put my RoboCop 4K and my Hellboy uh, 4K away. Okay. Until the revisit. Nice. You, know, you got to look at the positives here. I mean, <laughs> RoboCop still kicks ass, is what you really yeah, want to yeah. say. We came away from that knowing that RoboCop is maybe more poignant than ever. Yeah, I yeah. believe it. I believe it. All right. You have any other final notes, Brad? No. Nope. All right. Well, I'm going to start with you, Sammy. Um, we just got done having a lively discussion over Hellboy 2019. It, Sammy, is is this a bomb? Well, yeah, it is a bomb. I mean, I, I know I sat here and I defended it and everything else, but uh, I mean, the movie's a mess and it feels like at some point in time, everybody just kind of gave up and threw it to every effects house in uh, Eastern Europe. <laughs> and uh said hey anybody with the last name that starts with ends with an ov you're working on this 
I don't know if you looked at those credits. There's a lot yeah. of clovs, ofs, and jobs, and all kinds of ofs. I think they're all there. interns, though. 896, man. There's a lot of unpaid interns working this on this. may have been their first project, some of these guys. I think and, so. You know, bravo. You know, everybody's got to start somewhere. Um, yeah, this, this movie just, again, I enjoy two-thirds of it. But I understand why it bombed. There's something just off about the Hellboy character. I mean, I don't think the other two were huge hits, right? Oh, do we kind of that talk second about one that? did one seventy? Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, it's it's why we were getting a third one, yeah. um, but because they they didn't want uh, him to direct, Ron left, so they just rebooted it. Yeah. Now, Ron Perlman's not a young guy anymore either. I can't imagine wanting to get in that suit. No. Any cash. But anyway. I mean, I do think it's a bomb because I do think it's haphazardly put together and it's sloppy. I just like a good sloppy Joe sandwich. I enjoy the first two thirds of it. Maybe I don't want to finish it off. Okay. So you're putting it, you're, you're going to go put it in the bomb category, huh? I'm going to put it in the bomb category. Yeah. Okay. All right. What about you, Brad? So it is a bomb. And I thought about, I mean, there are some sequences I really like, and there are some aspects of this movie I really like. And some performances I really like, but then on the opposite side, there's just some garbage and you got to sit through a lot of stuff. I mean, you could literally be turned off of this movie in minute one where they say, here's Merlin and King Arthur. You're like, nope. Cause I remember <laughs> when I first watched half of this on Amazon prime, I was like, you know what? No, this is no, I'm watching Hellboy. I don't want Knights of the round table. Get me out of here. Yeah. Um, so it is a bomb in all. I mean, you, you you talk about the the special effects and how many there are, and the budget and the fighting and all. This. I mean, this is just why we get bombs like this because it's just there's fighting and things are terrible. The movie comes out is like this mess. It happens all the time. We see it all the time when we talk about these movies. And this is kind of your poster child for what not to do when you make a movie. Okay. Uh, Don't wait. Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, was released July of 08. 11 years. You can't wait 11 years. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think we get a third one because, again, they're looking for money and to make some money. Yeah, it's the franchise opportunity, right? Every studio wants to keep franchises going. Um, I don't know. I Hearing you guys talk about it, I, I might have a – no, I'm just kidding. This thing's terrible. Uh, I'm actually going to take my 4K and chop it up to nine pieces and hide it in like nine different places boxes, all over the yeah. world in boxes so that nobody else has to watch my copy, I think. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious. I, I, I would love for my kids. I, I think they've seen all of them. I got to sit down and, and see what they think of it. I'm curious of a younger generation uh, or, or somebody in their teens, early twenties who ran across when it came out and what they think about this. I mean, I, I think, I think if you've grown up with comic book films and have seen like the trials and tribulations and what you get, you know, today with Marvel, I'm curious how Hellboy hits that, uh, movie watcher versus somebody like us who, who kind of watches everything. Yeah. yeah. My, my son would love this film but only because he would be watching something he's not supposed to be watching. <laughs> and I wish Neil Marshall would have went a little further with the metal music. Like I wish we would have gotten some death metal or some doom metal. That'd have been fun. Yeah. 
Yeah, some Viking metal, you know, some real. I appreciate you know, Motley Crue in anything, but I yeah. it, was, it was too little. Shut up, Brad. <laughs> yeah, but you know what I mean. I mean, I, I would have liked him to go that much further, be a little bit more extreme yeah. with it, you know. I agree. He would have loved that. I mean, he. I mean, he's at the age where, you know, if he gets to hear the F word, he's excited. So, well, I'm curious if you get Monster Hunter, what he thinks of that one. So I'm going to end up watching that fucking movie. I know I am. I don't, I don't, I don't even want to watch it. I'm not watching that movie. Not. Uh, uh, we'll see. In four years, we do it on this podcast. I'll do it then, but I'm not doing it until then. Well, now you're know. just you're like daring me to pick it. Building a narrative here. Uh, there you go. Well, uh, Brad, we got some feedback, uh, and we got some interesting feedback. Somebody actually sent in an audio clip uh, concerning last week's podcast. I, now, you you didn't listen to this, did you? I did not. I did not. I tried not to spoil. So Okay. Well, I'm going to play it right now, and um, here's a little bit of feedback we got uh, from a film that we talked about last week, The Man Who Feels No Pain. Hey guys, this is Twisted Kid Matt from the Mixtape Podcast. I just wanted to uh, send you guys a little something and basically just say thank you, one, for just really promoting the hell out of the Mixtape Podcast. We really appreciate it. And uh, also for your amazing movie suggestions. Thanks to you guys, I've discovered uh, Love and Monsters, Brigsby Bear. Uh, I actually bought that one on Blu-ray and added Love and Monsters to a wish list. And now I'm adding a third one to my list. I will be buying a copy of The Man Who Feels No Pain. That movie had so much, so much charm to it. It's definitely become a favorite of mine now at this point. And I've already recommended it to about 10 different people. And the rest of the guys on the Mixtape Podcast are going to be checking it out as well. So, yeah. Once again, thanks for the awesome suggestions. And thanks for plugging the show, man. I appreciate it can't wait to have you guys on at some point in the future it's gonna gonna entice entice you guys a little bit if you want to come on the show it'd be that'd be awesome we should do that so all right again this is twisted kid matt mixtape podcast and i will talk to you guys later and as always stay awesome well thanks matt we will definitely show up on your podcast i i love your show um yeah I've been listening. And our job is done. Our job is done, Troy. We've we've got people to to watch the man who feels no pain, so we can call it a day. Yes, I can't encourage uh, everybody enough to go out and look for that thing on Netflix again. Go back and listen to last week's show. We had an amazing couple of guests on there, Josh and Jose. Uh, and I don't know about you, Brad. I've this this was great feedback, but I got so many text messages, um, Instagram messages, etc. Of people who that was their first Indian film was the one that we talked about last week. Yeah. You're setting the bar kind of high. Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, and it's fantastic, but I, I was so happy that everybody just fell in love with it. And like Matt said, it's super charming. Um, I, I got a great message from Josh who, who basically said he, he absolutely loved it and thought that the story and the martial arts and everything else were we're, we're just fantastic. And it's, it's on, you know, repeat watch now. So I think my son has watched it like two or three times just in the last couple of weeks. Um, Sammy, I, I don't know if you've watched it yet. I have not. Um, uh, thinking about watching with Landon, see if he'll uh, sit down and watch that one. I think see he'll like it a lot. Yeah. I think it seems like something he'd be into. Yes. A hundred percent. Kind of wackiness of it. Yeah. I've seen a few Bollywood and Tollywood films. I'm not, uh, uh, you know, 
ignorant to their charms, but I've also seen a few too many Bollywood and Tollywood films. So, so I mean, you know, I've seen enough to know that uh, they make a lot and sometimes they hit just like Hollywood and sometimes they miss. Yeah, like everything. I mean, uh, I, I can't stress this enough. Go to Screen Anarchy. Um, usually when Josh raves about something, I'm going to check it out. And he's rarely wrong. He, he just reviewed another one that I was kind of interested in, The Beast. And it was playing here in the theaters. And he said it wasn't very good. So I, I avoided that one. Um, yeah. But he's he's got some good sensibilities. And I think what's nice about Josh is he watches all types of films. And he does programming for film festivals, too. So he is not just looking at films and just saying, hey, this comes from like India. And so automatically gets a pass or something of that nature. He's, he's really grading it just based on storytelling and what it's doing from a unique vision perspective, the way that he would with any other film that he is reviewing or programming. So head over to Screen Anarchy and, and definitely follow all of his articles. Brad, if anybody wants to send us feedback, how do they do that? Yeah, that's not a bomb pod at gmail.com. You can also hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Um, yeah, we appreciate all the suggestions. Our 100th episode is coming up in a few weeks. Yeah. Please send in all your uh all your feedback and stuff for that episode. We'll answer it there. It's pretty awesome. Big I, episode coming up for that. I still remember coming across you guys by accident. Or boy, it was recommended by Apple Podcasts. Like, if you like these podcasts, you might like the show. And I'm like, well, who are these two guys? <laughs> so I start listening, Troy and Brad. I'm like, I don't know, I don't, I don't know anybody. I, I don't know these guys. <laughs> and then I start listening. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> I know these guys. <laughs> yes, you do. Uh, yeah, we don't we don't uh, publicize the podcast on our own personal social media, but it's I, I think it's funny. I've had uh, a few people at work now. Um, send me emails and go, Hey, I, I found this awesome podcast. I thought you would like it. <laughs> and then they tell me what they're listening. I'm like, are, are you sending me this email because you know, that's me or, um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's been exciting. Uh, Sammy, we just got done doing a ninja run over on your show, enter the ninja revenge of the ninja, yeah, which was so much fun. So go check that out. But you guys, uh, what, what do you got going on? this week uh chinese boxer this week um something we reviewed a while back when the blu-ray release came out we just didn't put it out and then jimmy wang you passed away and uh we felt like it was the time obviously to put it out so that's what's out there now and uh yeah i we definitely great- think you should review black snake moan i want to hear that <laughs> yeah that would be fun will's never seen it either the uh we uh loved having you guys on it was great and uh talking ninja films um so much fun so Obviously, it's an open door policy, just kind of like you guys got for uh, for me here. Says I keep rotating in. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Will Will's going to be on um, probably over the summer. We kind of handpicked a film for him that I know he is uh, going to have a lot of fun talking about, and it leads us into a director that this is probably the only way we're ever going to talk about that director. But um, more, oh, yeah. more than that, uh, interesting. It's, it is sort of our little backdoor policy and how we get to certain movies we want to talk about, but since they didn't bomb, we, we kind of cheat, right? Oh, okay. Okay. So it's not an Italian director, is it? No, no. It's a surprise. It's a surprise. Uh, I I don't want to know. Honestly, I don't want to know. Okay. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you then. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, what are we talking about next week? Is next week my pick? Did you pick this? It's your picks. It's your pick. This was my pick. 
It's even next week. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to talk about a film. So earlier when we were talking in the show about comic books and specifically like companies that make comic books outside of Marvel and DC, um, I think it was Whitman Comics was sort of my first introduction to things outside of Marvel, right, and DC. And they had done a – they actually did four issues of a comic book based on a Disney film from 1979 called the black hole. Now the first three issues, uh, are sort of an adaption of the film. And the fourth issue is kind of what happens after the movie ends, which that comic book, I think like mint goes for 3,200 bucks or something. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. It's, it's like one of the rarest women comics, but I thought it would be interesting because the black hole is Disney's, um, I guess it would be their first PG film. PG, yep. And it came out in 1979. So we're, we're in star Wars craze. Yep. And it didn't do as well as Disney had hoped or anticipated. And in fact, critically, it kind of got, um, raked over the coals. So it's one of those that I remember seeing very vividly, uh, as a kid in the theaters, 70 millimeter, um, it, it was pretty impressive and collected all the action figures and comics yeah. and everything else. Yeah, I remember those toys. Somehow those toys got mixed in with my Battlestar Galactica stuff. Yeah. So <laughs> late late 70s were really interesting what they were trying to do with science fiction to kind of catch up with George Lucas and, and sort of that craze. And the black hole has a very interesting history to it. Um, so I thought that would be a fun pick because we're, we're actually doing a couple of Disney films this year that are sort of considered either a financial bomb or a critical bomb. And we're starting with the black hole. Nice. I'll be looking forward to that conversation. We did that a few years ago. Yes. Ooh. I remember that. We that. And uh, that had been the first time I'd seen it in a long time. But do, do, I've, never very seen it. I've never seen it. <clears throat> You've never seen it, Brad? No, no. Oh, wow. Very interesting. Yeah. I, I believe it's heard. It's like, you know, so it's I'm on Disney plus. I think it's slightly edited on Disney plus though. Oh, son of a bitch. Yeah, okay. but I just... I'm going to have to buy it. Just from um, some vocabulary choices. Yeah, because they... Someone smoke a cigarette? Do I have to read a 45-minute <laughs> diatribe on why cigarettes uh, are bad in movies? No, no, no. Jesus Christ. Uh, okay. I think the only Sorry. the only way you can get it on Blu-ray is through the Disney Club, but, I mean, you can buy those on eBay. Mm-hmm. Um, and Anchor Bay put out a special edition DVD. I think there's been a couple of releases for it, but... Um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting discussion. I'm curious, Brad, cause you've never seen it. I'm, and I know you're a big sci-fi guy, which kind of surprised me. And, uh, I think we're trying to get a guest on for that one. So we'll, we'll see if they can get there. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of excited to revisit that cause I haven't watched it in years. And that was, uh, that was a big movie for me in my childhood cause I, I was ready for the next big star Wars thing. And, and to me, the black hole was it. So. Well, I'm a big Soundgarden fan, so I'm going to make a lot of Black Hole Sun jokes next week. So get ready for that. Well, wash away the rain. I don't think there's any chance of you doing a Bill Cosby impersonation during that one. So we'll see. We'll see. There's the words Black Hole. Yeah. That's true. Very bad bad joke right there. Uh, We derailed. We we only had a few minutes left before. Yeah. I have dad jokes and I have bad jokes. <laughs> so, <laughs> we we got a full display of them tonight. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> uh, Sammy, thank you so much for for coming on the show. I know you're going to be back in a few weeks. Um, I can't yeah. wait. 
Yeah, um, you guys have given me the, uh, you know, I got the golden ticket over here at Not A Bomb, and I love it. So it's I'm, I got a lot of holes punched in mine, but I'm going to keep punching it. Well, the the next movies that you picked out um, to come on the show for are, are some bangers. So yeah, I'm really excited about talking to those. Yeah, uh, I am too. I am too. And and Brad, we have a lot of research to do between now and our hundredth episode too. So keep that in mind. <laughs> oh yes, we do. I don't know why we decided to do that. That that's like a big endeavor, but hey, it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be a four hour podcast, so. probably. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, am I missing anything, Brad? Did we get all house cleaning done and stuff? Yeah. Okay, I think so. All right. Well, I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon, or evening. I hope you're having an awesome day. Uh, Get on your Disney Plus subscription. Go to eBay. Buy the Blu-ray. But, you know, come back next week, and we're going to talk about 1979's The Black Hole, Disney's first PG film. Uh, So it should be exciting. So until then, we'll we'll see you next week. Hey, Baba Yaga, let me see it. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of lumpy. (laughs) 